Hello, our lovely listeners, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Courtney. I am here with my spouse, Royce, and together we are the Ace Couple. Now, if you're one of our regular listeners, then you know that not too long ago, we dove pretty deeply into some religious political discrimination against asexuality and aromanticism and I am thrilled to tell you that we are continuing that conversation today, but with a lovely twist. We have a fantastic guest with us today. We are so excited to get into this conversation. So uh, please introduce yourself to the uh, pod people. Hi, everyone. My name is Sharky. I am a Twitch streamer, I guess? You're a Twitch streamer. I am a white ace, and I grew up in a lovely Christian household, and hearing all those talks about Christianity made me scream so much. (laughs) So thanks for having me on. (laughs) So we are here for Sharky Screaming. So yeah, I, I don't know why, I don't know why the, I guess, because you are like, you are a Twitch streamer. You, you stream on Twitch three times a week plus more than that. <laughs> I, I stream three times a week on the channel. You've mentioned it on the podcast, Ace is playing an attraction with our really good friend, Satan, for the Christians. No, not that Satan. <laughs> the other Satan. <laughs> the other Satan. I sometimes stream on a solo channel and my own stuff, but mostly it's just the Ace is playing an attraction where we play dating sims and do funny voices and just chill with our audience. And it is such a good time. We have mentioned uh, you all on the podcast before because we just think what you're doing is so cool. In fact, your Aces Playing at Attraction Twitter account is like among the first Ace Twitter accounts that we found when we set ours up about a year ago, I guess. And uh, when we saw in your description that you played dating sims as a couple of asexual friends, we were just like, this is great because we are always playing dating sims simulators in our house just for fun and silly nonsense shenanigans. So we were like, of course there should be a Twitch stream with this concept. And we were so glad to see that it did exist. We have been fans ever since. Which has been funny because when we initially like just did it on our own over Discord, just like, yeah, let's bring up a game and let's just do funny voices because I didn't have classes and Satan was alone and just wasn't really doing too much. And so we're just like, let's do this over Discord. And then we were talking to other people and they're like, no, that's a funny idea. Go for it. Like, make it a Twitch stream. Let other people watch it. And we're like, okay, I guess. (laughs) It's very good. We are we are so glad to have found you all and and you have both become friends of ours and we're very grateful for that. So when we told you all that we were starting this foray into this very American Christian brand of discrimination against asexuality. Um, all of your, we, we, we call it the uh, uh, Sharky Christian rant <laughs> started to come out. So even before we posted this four-part series, we were very excited to have you on the podcast because I think just sort of being Midwesterners, Royce, you and I were always around purity culture. We knew it was a thing, and it sort of leeches into broader culture, even outside of these very conservative Christian bubbles. 
So we were aware of the implications of it, but neither of us grew up in a dedicated church or had families that were especially religious in that way. So that's true. I was sort of laughably ignorant of religion throughout parts of my childhood and teenage years. Courtney, you had a little religious phase. Well, <laughs> you, you have read I, the Bible. <laughs> I have not done that. I grew up in a culture where everyone by default assumed you were Christian. And even though like my mother as a single mother did not attend church and my grandmother who was a single mother did not attend <laughs> church and my great grandparents did not attend church. There was very much kind of a like if someone asked like, what is your religion? We probably would have just said Christian because that's kind of just what you were in South Dakota. <laughs> but it was very much also, I technically got baptized, but that was less about the religion and more about acquiring godparents because my mother was a single mother and there was an agreement if anything were to happen to my mother. The parents of two of my very best friends growing up who were, in nearly every sense of the word, my sisters, were going to take care of me. So there was a ceremony to sort of acknowledge that. But I I don't know. It was odd because I'd also have like sleepovers at friends' houses on Saturdays and then their parents would just like take us to church on Sunday. So I attended so many different churches that were not mine. <laughs> So it was it was an odd thing. So I decided in like middle school that like, yeah, if I'm going to be a Christian because everyone around me is and everyone tells me I should, I'm going to at least do it right. So I bought a Bible from Barnes and Noble and I read it and <laughs> called it a day. So that that's sort of the um, almost compulsory Christianity of the area that I grew up in for background knowledge. But I'm really curious to hear about you, Sharky. What was your experience growing up and how involved were you and the people around you in this religion? So I have the, for lack of the better word, strangest experience with Christianity growing up mm. because I know a lot of people who are either, I've never read the Bible before. I went to church maybe a few times and I know people who are like, I went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. I was in Bible studies. I'm like in this weird middle ground where I went to church as a kid and my parents were religious, but they weren't like that religious. It was like, you do your duty, you go to church on Sunday, you go to Christian schools so you can learn the Bible throughout the week. I went to a Lutheran private school from beginning of my schooling to sixth grade, and then I transferred to a, the term being non-denominational private school, so they're not part of any specific sect, from seventh grade to twelfth grade. And, like, I went to church every once in a while. After a certain point, I was basically just one of those Christians who only went to church on Easter and Christmas Eve because of Jesus' birth and death. But it was a lot of just, like, in taking it during the week that made me learn most of it. My mother was involved in, like, the bell choir playing handbells, and I dabbled in that for a little bit in seventh grade, I believe. 
And my grandmother is incredibly religious. She goes to church every Sunday and Wednesday when she was able to. She was reading the Bible every night and all this stuff. So it kind of stemmed down from my grandparents' age. And my parents are kind of like, well, we're Christian. This is just what we do. And then it was me, which is like, is this what we do, though? (laughs) And the non-denominational school that I went to was a very, very far conservative school so relating it back to my asexuality it was the purity culture was there the abstinence was there we got the the talk once a year a person comes in and be like make sure you don't have sex okay here's some vague names of stds good job (laughs) yep i'm familiar with that talk we didn't get it once a year it was more like just once but (laughs) (laughs) We got it once a year, and I remember because I got made fun of for it because I was sick that day and passed out during it. Oh no! I was like, oh, I need to no. go. I need to go to the nurse office. I feel well. You don't feel well. Step out the door and literally passed out. And oh. people are like, Ah, oh, yeah, Sharky, you can't handle the talk, can't you? And I'm just like, Okay. Wow. Oh. But it was kind of just like the sex talk was everywhere because it was always the absence, but it was also always the, man, but once you get married, it's going to be so nice. It's going to be so good. Like, you'll love it to death once you get Mm -hmm. married, but just make Mm -hmm. sure you're married first. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's... It's first of all, let let's take this one step at a time. It (laughs) it is very interesting that (laughs) it could almost be a joke about an asexual person passing out during a sex talk. (laughs) But uh, I I mean clearly that was not the case. You were already sick. But I also know so few people that have literally passed out in school, but I was constantly passing out. When I was younger, like multiple times in school because of my various disabilities. But then I think I met Royce and Royce, you at one point passed out at school. And I was like, I think you're the only other person I've ever met who has done that. Yeah, I had a pretty extreme anxiety response to public speaking. And so I'd have a few minutes during a speech before I'd get so lightheaded I'd pass out. Oh, I know mine. They like had to bring a wheelchair out. And I was just like, no, I felt better than I have the whole day. This was great. I was glad I passed out. (laughs) That was just what I needed. (laughs) It was exactly what I needed. Five minutes or like five seconds of no consciousness. Just just a a quick, just a a solid nap. Just very, very concentrated. Have you tried turning it off and on again? That was my joke. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. For me, like I could get up and move around, but I was shaky and felt sick for an hour or two. Yeah, they had to, like, give me crackers and stuff like that. And they're like, we're not going to let you walk around. But I was like, I can walk around perfectly fine. I feel great. Everyone always wants to feed you after you pass out. Because <laughs> they think it's from lack of food. That was the big thing. Was, Did you have breakfast? Did you have this? And I'm like, no, I never have breakfast. <laughs> this is not new. No. <laughs> Yeah. So first, I I find that very funny. I'm sure it wasn't funny in the moment, but in in hindsight. Oh, in in hindsight, it's hilarious because it it was in 10th grade. So like it was during the prime time where everyone was talking about how hot people were, how like dating and cuteness. and And then there was me being like, huh, I'm feeling sick. Okay, I guess I'm passing out now. All this talk of sex and romance makes me sick. (laughs) 
Which, the funny thing, I was in a relationship at that time. I was in my second two, two and a half years into a relationship. So relationships weren't new to me. It was kind of just like the, huh, this is weird. Awkward timing, body. <laughs> Awkward timing. No, uh, you could uh, see it conversely as your body has perfect comedic timing. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> so there, there's that aspect of it that's really, really funny. But also, yeah, so here's something that I think people who are not really in the heart of purity culture, who don't really understand the nuances of it, whether that you are literally you've grown up in the church, it's a very big part of your culture, or if you just live in an area where every single person around you is deep in it and you just absorb some of it because that's everyone around you. The people who aren't really in the thick of it don't really understand that purity culture in many ways is very sexual and they'll think oh, of yeah. that they'll think of that as like counterintuitive because they'll think well purity culture means no sex but no it's it's the conversation is very revolving around sex all the time it's just giving you very strict parameters yeah. around how to have sex so to me it's always seemed more about control than don't have sex or less sex or no sex is better <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely not no sex or less sex or something like that. It is very much just when you're not married, no. But once you're married, free game, do it all the time. Like, go, go for it. Like, just release everything that you've helped pent up until then. Yes, absolutely. And it's it's kind of funny because there's very much the, like we discussed in, in our four-part series, where it's there are some people going to the extreme of saying that you, should be aspiring to have sex in a married state and that you should want to have sex with your future spouse and that if you don't I think one of the articles we cited said, like, you have an unclean heart if you do not want to have sex with your future spouse. And so, like, some people will take it to that extreme. But there's there's almost a secular version of purity culture where the purity culture is still there, but some people have removed the actual religion and the scripture used to justify it and sort of just people who might still consider themselves to be more progressive or more sex positive will will still very often have this idea in their head of I don't have to be married but I still want my first time to be special. Yeah. And to me that's always kind of just been like well that's the same thing just rebranded without the religious aspect of it. And I think that just has to do with the fact that because those talking points are everywhere, people are going to be like, I like the idea of it, but not the exact message mm. of it. So let's just like change it up a little bit because everybody wants to have sex, right? Like everyone just wants that like singles, like special moment of sex because mm -hmm. that's what everyone wants. So like, just push that a little bit. I know at least for the church, I've joked for years years after finding out that I was ace, after realizing it, that I'm like, mm, so under this very specific set of guidelines, while I'm ace, I'm perfect, I'm great, like, they love me to death. The minute I break those guidelines, oh, I, I'm like the devil himself, like, I, it's terrible, <laughs> hate, I'm hated because it's just like, if you're not, you're not seeking a relationship, you're not seeking sex outside of a, re like, married relationship, 
you're fine, but the minute you try to have a, like, a romantic relationship, like a marriage, you're hated, basically. You're, you're doing it wrong. You're doing <laughs> it wrong because to them, everyone wants to have sex. Mm-hmm. Because when I was in high school, bi wasn't a thing to the community, pan mm. wasn't a thing, ace wasn't a thing. You were straight or you were gay. Mm-hmm. And at least in the high school I grew up in, if you are gay and you come out as gay, even if you don't do a single act to come out as gay, like if you just tell a friend, you're not dating a guy, you're not kissing a guy, you're just telling a friend, hey, I kind of have feelings for another guy or another girl, you're immediately uh, kicked out of school. Ugh. <sighs> Oh, that hurts me so much. So it was kind of just like the, well, you keep that down and you just don't say that you're interested in people. So for me, I had people be like, hey, Sharky, who do you like? And I know for me, I was like, no one. I don't like anyone. I'm not interested in anyone. And I was talking to my roommate later in life, and my roommate was saying, we either thought you were lying to us because you didn't trust us, or because you were just secretly gay and didn't want to get kicked out. Mm, That is such a recurring theme. With The more aces we speak to, the more people say, like, a lot of people thought I was gay mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was younger. Even people who are not homoromantic, asexual, or anything that is sort of gay-oriented in, in the ways that we aspects experience it. Because it's just that that's what people know. People know gay and they know straight. But they also know if someone's a little bit different, like you're not quite like me. I can sense there's something different in the way you experience things. And that's why the ace and arrow experiences are actually so queer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because my friends knew something was different. Either I was just lying because I had, like, some crush that I didn't want them to know about because I thought it would be a strange crush and they would make fun of me or something. Or if it was I was gay and I didn't want to get kicked out of school. When in actuality, it was just like, no, I didn't like anybody. They're all just classmates. That's it. That's so fascinating because, yes, sometimes, too, when you get into, like, media representation where there's a very queer-coded character but things are not explicitly stated, then I've often looked at those characters and read them as asexual, but gay people are going to look at it and be like they're clearly gay and if you if you dare to say i read them as asexual because it looked on screen like things that i have felt and experienced before then there's this horrible rift in in the the discourse where it's like oh well how dare you asexuals center yourself because this is very clearly a gay story because I don't think people always understand exactly how queer it is to grow up as an ace person. I mean, the biggest one that I can think of to relate to that was Elsa. Because mm. Disney came out and was saying, no matter what platform Elsa's going to be in, there's going to be no romance whatsoever. And a lot of ace and arrow people latched onto that and was like, oh my gosh, like Elsa, like it's about like family empowerment. It's about this. There's no romance. That's great and the second movie had like female friendships and all this stuff and it just felt so ace 
when the lesbian community was like, she's clearly a lesbian. Yes. And it's oh like, well, goodness. she could be That's a lesbian. A she could be a lesbian ace. Mm-hmm. Right. But there was absolutely zero on-screen evidence of any sort of attraction. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It, it's, <laughs> Which, it's the, there isn't a hetero romance, therefore must be gay yep. argument. Which uh-huh. was so interesting because it's like, if it's not one, it's the other. Yes. And even in other areas of the queer community where we're always trying to break down the binary of things, people still sort of default to that. And I, I very much read Elsa as arrow ace because I think there was even a moment in a flashback or something where it was like someone's talking about a boy and she's like, ugh. <laughs> And yeah, wanting to be alone, enjoying solitude, but still very much loving her family and her friends. And even in the second movie, which we actually went to see in theaters, which is very unusual for oh, us. Wow. We, we have not gone to many movies at a theater, but we wanted to see the Arrow Ace vibes of Elsa in the second movie because we, we saw it, we felt it. But we also knew that there was this big push even before the sequel came out. There was like a hashtag give Elsa a girlfriend. And I didn't like it for two reasons. And I was very afraid to speak up about it because then everyone's like, oh, you're just being lesbophobic. You don't want a lesbian. But my two reasons was one, I like having a Disney princess, actually a Disney queen, no less, who does not have a romantic element because that is also very important representation. But also, I thought of like the old school Disney sequels where like Lion King 2 <laughs> and all of these sequels that were just like, there was a Little Mermaid 2 that was just like a direct yeah. to mm-hmm. VHS. And most of them were not very good. And some of them people don't even realize there was a sequel because it was just a direct to home video kind of a thing. So I was thinking about the implications of giving a Disney princess a gay romance in a sequel. I was like, I would love to have a lesbian Disney princess. Oh, yeah. But when they do that, it needs to be in the first like debut movie because it, it should be. But I, I mean, the sequel ended up actually like doing well and a lot of people saw it. So I think the, the tide has turned that way. But that's where I was thinking was like not as many people are going to see the sequel as the original. So it was like for both of us, it was like for, for aces and arrows, but also for lesbian representation, like there is a better way it needs to happen. <laughs> But it could be done better. But I digress. But that was very interesting. And now I'm curious because you're talking about people who saw you as different. And of course, you were in a very extreme situation where you would have to leave school if you were gay, which is so many things wrong with that. But I can see from their perspective how that would give you even more of an incentive to not talk about that if that were the case. Oh, yeah. But what was sort of your ace journey? Because you're you're also dating in high school and in this very purity-focused culture. What were all of the early signs and when did you start to realize that you had a word for this? So I didn't actually realize it until I was... 
five around there it was 2017 uh five years ago no 23 and during schooling i was the type of person where if sex wasn't talked about i forgot it existed (laughs) relationships were the furthest thing from my mind the whole thing about late bloomers i was always just like ah i'll get into a relationship once i find the one ah the one not really having in mind because people always ask me like Sharky, what's your type? Mm. You remember that. And I was always being like, I don't know, a best friend, I guess. (laughs) I I don't know. And it was kind of just like this vague thing of like, I'll start dating when I start dating. It's not really that big of a thing. And as the years went on, people were always like, Sharky, who do you like? Who's this? Like, what about this celebrity? And I was always like, nah, not worrying about that. Not my thing, not my type. And eventually I met my ex-girlfriend who... I met in 7th, 8th grade when after I transferred, and Satan says I had a bad anime moment where, like, I could describe how I started dating my ex, and you'd be like, I think I've watched that anime, where we sat next to each other, we were competing in in tests to see who was getting the better grades, and (laughs) then we started talking, and blah, blah, blah. Like, you've probably watched that anime. It's kind of (laughs) wholesome. But the thing was, is everybody around me was like, so you like her, don't you? And I'm like, no, we're just really good friends. And then I distinctly remember laying in bed at night and being like, do I like her? I th- Maybe I like her. I think I like her. And talking myself into thinking I wanted a relationship mm. with her. And so talking myself and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do like her. And I just asked her out. And then we, uh, that stopped all the comments about, hey, who do you like? Because being in a relationship really does stop those. I wouldn't advise it for the people not in a relationship. Trust me, I'm not going to tell the ending of that relationship story, but it didn't end well. Oh, man. Now I'm going to have to look up to see if there are any animes that are like the tropey comedy high school harem style, but with an ace protagonist who wants nothing to do with any of it. Uh, you could, you could say or in high school school. or on high school host club you could say Haruhi is ace. At the end of the anime, I know her and Takumi get together. I don't know about the manga itself, but Oran would be the stereotypical, no, she doesn't want to do with any of them. She's only there because she has to repay some money. Uh, absolutely. And I, I've actually tried to get Rice to watch Oran High School Host Club with me. Rice, you watch like a couple episodes and you're like, I don't know if this is for me, but Haruhi's like at the very least a gender or gender fluid, but also definitely read some level of asexual or aromantic, but there's some level of queerness there where everyone is sort of, you know, wanting to date, wanting to have suitors or or get courted. And, and she's just like, I'm just the poor student who broke something. And who <laughs> is, at least because in this club, masquerading as a male, Yes. So nobody knows she is a female, except for like the actual club members, and even they don't realize it right away in some for some of them. And so it's kind yeah. of like the girls will come up to her and be like, Oh my gosh, you're so good looking, and she's just like, nah, no thanks. 
Yeah, and she's also at one point like, I don't really care if you perceive me as a boy or a girl. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm I'm me. Yes. But it, it was actually growing up and being in a relationship, especially in high school, where I kind of formula started formulating all my views on christianity which are wild and different than probably most everyone's in the church heard because i don't really deal with some of that anymore and i still consider myself a christian to all the listeners out there i am a christian still first and foremost i just have some weird views about the church but like in my school like we couldn't even hug in school we were, i was dating this girl we couldn't even hug hold hands no 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 that's way too far so it was very much just a like it didn't feel like dating. It just felt like I was with a really close friend of mine. And we have, like, a label on it. And, like, we might kiss and stuff like that and cuddle. But, like, it, it, I was just with a really good friend. Mm-hmm. And it just felt, like, very fine. This is is this is how dating works. This is fine. It's not the best thing ever. It's, it's just it is a thing. But obviously, growing up, it was still always like, oh, are you two going to get married? Oh, I better get prepared for sex one day. Uh, oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, my family was like, oh, man, you two are going to get married and have a bunch of kids. Because we were already talking about kids at age, like, 15. Yeah. Y yeah. When when it's expected that everyone is going to couple up and have kids, then that's just sort of the decided progression of things. Well, you are friends with someone of the opposite sex. Next comes dating. And we know what comes after dating. Marriage. And then kids. Which is actually very interesting for me because... Because my entire friend group, except for one person, all girls. I was the lone guy in a group of girls. My girlfriend being one of them. And so it was always just like, oh man, well if it ends with her, you have so many options to choose from. Because you're friends with so many people. Or, oh man, like, hopefully you're not dating all of them at once. And I'm just like, no, what? They're my friends. Why would I do that to my friends? That feels awkward and weird. Uh, Did having a lot of friends who were girls, do you think it all contributed to people suspecting that you might have been gay? Oh, probably. Oh, probably. <laughs> I mean, I was the type where I was younger. I was a very shy kid and I didn't get along with guys. And I think part of that had to do with all the guy talk that happened about girls and i'm like i didn't want to play a part in it because i can't contribute and that's not fun to me i mm -hmm. want to talk about books and video games and with the girls i could just talk big books and video games and it was fine <laughs> because none of them were going to talk to me about relationships or about who i liked and anything like that because that's just not what it was but yeah, it definitely probably was why people were like, he's just surrounded by girls. That's like a stereotype of a gay person, isn't it? Yeah, which is, that sounds very much in line with the sort of imposed societal expectation of masculinity being very tied to sexuality. Yeah, and it was very interesting for me because all the guys I did talk to slightly, like I wasn't close with, but like I knew them, we were in classes together, and they would try to bring me in. There was talk about porn, there was talk about sex and girls like butts and stuff like that, and I'm just like... Ugh. 
To me, I'm like, is this what guys talk about? Like, is, is this what guys are supposed to talk about? I thought this was like just a movie thing. Uh, oh my goodness. That was always like my nightmare was that I would date a guy who would then be talking like that about me with his guy friends. Like that was always a concern that I had, <laughs> which is really interesting because in my experience, it wasn't just the guys who were talking that way because I definitely had groups of girlfriends who were like talking about sex. And it was very interesting to see the shift from sex is horrifying because everyone's telling us that you're going to get STDs and everyone's also telling us that our first time is going to be painful and we're going to bleed and it should only be for our husband because it's all all these things. So we had this like, oh, well, that's going to be really scary. But then I saw the shift of like, you know, some, some of these girls are saying like, you know, that actually sounds pretty good. I kind of do want to try that. And then people around me started having sex and they were like, you know, it's actually great. And I was like, I thought we were on the same page just last year. We were talking about how we don't want to do this. And I've heard from my roommate that, like, when she was around, like, just other girls, oh, sex talks was happening, like, everywhere. But it was just, like, when I was there, it was kind of like, a guy's here, we can't talk about <laughs> sex. We gotta, we gotta talk about something else. Which I didn't mind, personally, but it was kind of just like, oh, huh. huh. <laughs> that school was weird. <laughs> I didn't actually find out about until I was ace until after that relationship ended and I started talking to my good friend Satan and they mentioned like in passing about it and I'm like what what's that term mean like I, I've never heard that term like what does it mean and explained it I'm like oh that links up to my experience growing up <laughs> like kind of hit the nail on the head like huh this explains a lot and then when I started telling it to like to other people like my roommate they were like oh so that's why you were like that growing up uh, it all makes sense it was like a <laughs> light bulb just shot off into the air and they're just like everything links together now this i understand everything and it's just like oh huh mm -hmm. so i guess I, I i wasn't the typical guy like after all hmm feel like a lot of aces have that aha moment <laughs> where they hear the word, they learn the definition, and they're like, wait a second. Which, I mean, for me was five years ago now, and before then I was like, yeah, I was just straight. I just haven't found somebody I liked. I just didn't find the type I liked or something like that, or the wine. But it was just like, oh, that's, that's not who I am. That's just not who I am. Okay. Yeah, okay, so to bring it back to Frozen and Elsa, <laughs> when you're like, oh, I was looking for the one, and then I realized that wasn't the case at all. She has a song in the second movie about how I'm the one I was waiting for my yeah. whole life. <laughs> Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's kind of that moment, like, oh, society is telling me that there's going to be the one, a soulmate, the perfect person for me, and I just have to look for them. I just have to wait for them. But then you realize that that's not how it is for everyone. That's not how it has to be. And then you're like, oh, I, I didn't need what society is telling me I need. I just needed to understand myself. <laughs> And being in the church and figuring that out, because the church is so marriage and sex driven is not the right word, but it kind of fits to some regard. 
it's just like, I don't fit into their preconceived notions. How does this work out for, like, Christianity as a whole? Because Christians are supposed to have kids. They're supposed to pass on their Christianity to their kids. They're supposed to do this and that. Like, I never was even baptized. You being baptized is more than me. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you, like, what I was baptized as. And I don't even know if my mom could tell me that information. I am a godfather to one of my nephews. However, I've never been baptized. And in seventh grade, I did what's called confirmation, which is a two-year program where you basically sit down, a pastor teaches you, this is what the church believes, this is why it believes that. And because I grew up Lutheran, I was in the Lutheran confirmation, so we were reading writings from, like, Martin Luther, and we were learning all this stuff, and at the end of it, you're like, yeah, and you'll, like, you have to be baptized to be confirmed, so, like, if you go through with it, you'll have to be baptized, and I'm just like, oh, that's, that's a problem, because I'm not baptized, and do I want to be baptized? Is that yeah. really necessary for me to be baptized? So it was kind of just like, I was learning all these things, and it was just like... It was a lot all at once in high school, and then once I left high school and I was in college, it was basically me being like, let's unpack all of this as a an ace person. Unpacking, a lot of unpacking. Because uh, we, as ace people, we have to sort of reconcile what our place is in a sex-obsessed world, because it, it can very much be a relief to understand yourself and have a word to describe what it is you're feeling and to know that you don't have to fit into this stereotypical mold that society has set before you. But then there's still a lot to unpack because you still have to exist in this world that expects that. And you have to determine what that means for you and how you exist in this space. And I can only imagine that being a Christian adds such a huge additional layer of complication to that because that's a whole new realm you have to learn how to exist in and, and reconcile what it means to you. Yeah, and because, at least in the churches that I grew up in, because you guys have thrown around this term a bunch in the past few months, the gift of celibacy. Mm. I had never heard that term until y'all used it. Really? That's fascinating. Because, like, celibacy was a thing, and it was just like, oh, be celibate, like, but it was kind of like the, you're celibate when you're not dating, and, oh, maybe, maybe God has a plan for you, and it doesn't involve marriage, and that's just perfectly fine. And that was kind of the extent of it, and, like, that was the version of celibacy we were talked about, where it was just, it's God's plan for you to just not get married and to just do your own thing to further his whatever. So it was kind of just like, I knew that marriage wasn't necessarily the end-all be-all, because there are some people who just don't get married, and that's, at least in the churches I grew up with, fine, because that's just God's plan. But it was kind of just the, like, oh, but is me being ace then part of God's plan then? Because, according to them, everyone is supposed to have these desires for sex, and some people might not have as much desire... And so they can, like, go do whatever they need to for God, like being a missionary or, or this, that, the other thing. But to me, it always felt like 
oh, that's just them being able to push that desire down because they haven't met the right person to marry. Rather than for me, at least now, being like, but what if I just choose never to marry, not because there's not the right person, but because I don't want to be married? Or what if I do get married and there's no the sex in it like y'all? Uh, yeah, that that's really interesting, because I actually never heard the gift of celibacy when I was growing up either. I didn't hear it until I was an adult, and actually getting married <laughs> to another asexual, because... Just like talking online, even long before the ace couple, when I just had my personal accounts where I normally just talked about my own business things, I was very rarely personal. But I'd occasionally talk about ace things because I knew there wasn't a lot of representation out there. And I would occasionally get a very religious person like sending me messages or commenting on my like a Facebook account saying how I shouldn't have gotten married. It was very wrong and selfish of me to get married because if I'm truly what I say I am, then I have been given the gift of celibacy and it would always be framed as like, don't you see this is God calling you to be a nun? <laughs> And like, you should have been a nun, not gotten married. And I was like, what is going on? Because I, I also think some people will um, look at us as an asexual married couple and be like, well, you should be able to, I guess, pass more. I mean, there's this whole straight passing conversation that happens even outside of ace circles with, you know, the bi or pan community or or non-binary communities, etc. But people will be like, well, if you're ace, but you're also married, you're also getting like the tax benefits that a married couple has, then really, is there any discrimination going on? And it's like, surprisingly, yes. And I honestly did not expect it at all. Like we, we knew enough that we knew about certain marriage laws just being very weird and how on the books there are still in several states like marriage consummation laws. And we were like, best probably not to get married in some of those states because we're not going to hide this part of us. And if we're going to be talking about, you know, being asexual, we don't ever want anyone to like bring the legal legitimacy of our marriage up for discussion. So I don't think people realize that we were searching for laws, marriage laws in different states when determining where we wanted to live. <laughs> and in a time where we did get married before, or Obergefell versus Hodges, which was the Supreme Court case that legalized same-sex marriage. So, of course, same-sex couples were needing to do the same thing, needing to know what the laws were and how they differed state to state. And I don't think people realize that we as an ace couple also went through that process. So there, there are just so many weird, very often religious connotations about why people don't approve of an asexual couple getting married, which is, it's weird. I mean, bigotry doesn't make sense, but it is very, very weird. So, and to have people being like, you should be a nun. Like, what if I don't want to be a nun? I'm, I'm not even a Christian. <laughs> So it's actually very interesting because after the videos that uh, y'all posted about Christianity in 
the month of August, or the month that I was screaming almost the entire month, whichever you want to call it, I was, I actually did some digging and being like, what Bible verses did they pull out of for the whole celibacy, gift of celibacy thing? Where does all of this even stem from? Because one of the things that we, I was taught in Bible classes, when I took, when I had Bible classes four days a week, was that you look at what book it is in, learn some context about the book, okay, what chapter is it, what is being talked about preceding those verses, because context matters. You can't pull a Bible verse out of just random and be like, this is the Bible verse, this is what it means. It's like pulling movie quotes out and being trying to make them sound like the exact opposite thing. That's not how it works. So, <laughs> I did some digging, and funnily enough, there's two Bible verses that people refer to when they talk about celibacy. Those two Bible verses are the same verses that asexual Christians bring up when talking about this is why asexuality is canon within the Bible. Yes. And it's kind of just like the way that they are being read is so totally different, and I think it was in your fourth episode, the author of one of the articles, I think it was like 15 or 20 minutes in, quoted around both of those verses and did it incorrectly. Uh, of course, of course. Which is which is why I posted on Twitter, like, I'm screaming because this person's not doing it correctly. Because in one of the verses, if you don't mind me reading from Please the Bible. Do. <laughs> Please do pull up that Bible and tell us everything that these conservative Christian bigots got wrong. So the first one is in the book of Matthew. So for a little context for the people who don't know, the book of Matthew is written by a person named Matthew, and it's the stories of Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus that Matthew basically wrote down from hearing firsthand sources and stories and stuff like that after the time of Jesus. And so at one point, a group came up and was like, what's your view on marriage, Jesus, huh? Because that was a sticking point at that time, because some people are like, marriage shouldn't, or divorce shouldn't be allowed. And a group said, well, the Bible says, or the Torah says divorce should be allowed. So what's your view on all this stuff? And so he gives the normal answers and stuff like that. And then his disciples come up to him and was like, if such is the case of marriage not being allowed, is it not better just to not, not marry at all? Should we just not even, why be married if this is such a problem? And Jesus says directly, I'm reading, this is Matthew 19, 11 and 12, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version for the people who care, because that matters. <laughs> mm, sure. Jesus says, not everyone can receive this message, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And so people are like, okay, eunuchs made eunuchs from the kingdom of heaven. That sounds like celibacy, because they're basically giving up all of this, and they're not going to be fertile and have children for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Asexuals read it and say, eunuchs from birth? That kind of, like, I mean, I technically can give birth or have children, but, like, I'm not going to, so maybe that applies to me. And so it, it's very different reading there. 
because eunuchs are stereotypically people who were infertile or castrated at some point in time, where it's literally impossible. The other verse, you guys might remember it because it was the one talking about bodily anatomy and how husbands should have sex with their wives and wives should have sex with their husbands. Mm -hmm. This is in 1 Corinthians, which is a response by Paul to a letter he received from the church in Corinth. So they basically wrote to him and, and said, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? Like, is it okay if this is not something we do? And Paul basically says at one point, like, you guys can stop for a little bit if you're married, but that's for like the sake of God and for praying and stuff like that. But you got, you guys should have sex. And then after that, he says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I am myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and another of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Which is where some people are like, man, Paul, really that good celibate, and aces are like, that means he's not burning with passion. Um, that kind of sounds <laughs> ace to me. Sounds pretty ace. I know a lot of ace-spec Christians who are like, Paul was totally arrow ace. And I could totally understand that because <laughs> those lines really seem like, hmm, he uh didn't seem to want to get married and have a need for sex. That's interesting. Yes. Well, and that's... I can absolutely relate to that reading of it. And here is the uh, point of blasphemy where Courtney is. I'm going to compare the Bible to Frozen. Uh, <laughs> Aces and arrows who are reading the Bible are going to be like, yeah, Paul very much sounds arrow ace. Straight Christians reading the Bible are going to be like, see, Paul is basically saying that everyone is straight unless you're really, really special and in particular. And they're going to they're gonna nitpick and question whether or not you have this, what they call the gift of celibacy. That wasn't, it wasn't said in those words, but I can see where they got that from everyone has their own gifts. They're going to be questioning like, but do you have this gift or are you just lying to get out of your, I don't know, Christianly duties? <laughs> so it's that reading that is very interesting to me because as someone who grew up in a very Christian area and is very much currently an atheist and has been for a long time, and I suspect will stay that way. I know that there's no singular reading of a religion. I know people all have their own interpretations of it. And as sort of an outsider in that sense to the religion, what fascinates me to no end is how many people will look at someone else's reading of the Bible and say like, well, you're not a real Christian if you're reading it this way. And we see that so often. And honestly, we had a lot of people who are Christian aces who enjoyed our series and were reaching out to us saying that they very much felt validated because they knew of all these issues and not a lot of people talk about them openly. 
So there, there were definitely some Krishnases who were right there with us, on board with us, understood what we were going for. But we also got some emails that were very upset at us about talking about these things as atheists because they were saying, well, you're distorting the religion because no real Christian is going to read it this way. Real Christians are going to understand that Paul said that this was okay. And to us, it's like kind of the no true Scotsman fallacy because both groups, both readings are calling themselves Christians. And it's like, I am not a theologian. I am an atheist. I am not the arbiter of who is and is not practicing the religion correctly, but I am an asexual married person who is facing discrimination and people are outright saying that our marriage is or should be illegal if it's not currently. (laughs) And so I'm taking things very much from the political point of view and just illustrating how people are using religion to justify their political bigotry. And that's why we were very careful to try to use their own words. Like, this is what they are saying. We are pulling direct quotes because I hope I never did. I never intended to be like, all Christians believe this. I was was trying to be very careful about like, this is what these organizations organizations are saying and why they are lobbying for this and how they're justifying the things they're lobbying for because I, I I don't know. I don't know. And at least my listening to it, I was like, yeah, you're just quoting them. But me coming from where I grew up, I'm like, yeah, this is just what Christians say. And I mean, one of the things that I found years ago, but I think I like refound recently, which annoyed me, was the one line of the of the Bible where they're talking about like this is why homophobia like man shall not lay with man in context the rest of the stuff is like you shall not sleep with your father's brother you shall not sleep with your aunt you shall not sleep with these like females and so it's like these are anti incest laws like don't sleep with your family. So if you put it in context, it kind of reads like, is this just don't sleep with the guys in your family too? (laughs) Don't sleep with your father. (laughs) Because it was like, oh, you don't sleep with your father's wife or your, or daughter or this. And it, and always talk, when you read the verses, they talk about like the females in your family. And so it's like, they don't ever mention the males in the family. It just has the, like the one verse. And even then, there are people who are saying, like, in the 70s, that got changed because before then it said, man shall not lay with boy to be, like, an anti-pedophilia law. So it's kind of just, like, when you're reading the Bible, what version of the Bible you're reading it, all of that can drastically change it because, no offense to Christians, the Bible's a political book and people <laughs> change it to be political in some regards. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point that I don't think I have ever heard a Christian say before, (laughs) but I can absolutely see that. That's honestly why, I mean, they the organizations we were quoting, the authors we pulled from were very much saying like, this needs to be the law of our country because this is what the Bible says. So they're, they're using the verses for political ends. 
And a lot of it really just is pulling passages out of context in order to read it in the way they need to read it to push their own political agendas, many of which, as we explored intensely, are very motivated by underlying bigotry against queer minority sexual orientations. And even the ones that aren't motivated by, like, the bigotry against gay people, queer people, and the ones that are just like, you should have kids because of that whole be fruitful and multiply line, which is used, like, three or four times in the Bible. They really like that line. (laughs) It's used for Adam and Eve. It was used for Noah after the flood. It was used, um, Jacob to be like, yeah, you're going to be fruitful and multiplying. You're going to have, like, so many descendants. But it's kind of just like, okay, but in context, Adam and Eve was the only people on the earth. Noah after the flood, well, everyone died except for Noah's family, so you kind of have to repopulate all over again. And for the Jacob and then the eventual tribes that came after him, it was going to be a kingdom. He was going to have kings descended from him. Like, yeah, it was going to be fruitful and multiply. It's a literal kingdom. <laughs> the kingdom of Israel. How did Noah get around those incest laws? His wife. He had a wife. No, Other no, than a- that? after, after that. <laughs> Uh, the incest laws came after that. The incest laws came after, like, that was after the whole Ten Commandments left Egypt and all that stuff. That was when the laws got uh, codified and written down to the eventual tribes. Before then, it was kind of just, from what the Bible says, people lived for hundreds of years and they just had so many kids. They had hundreds of kids. (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) That's a good point, though. It's kind of like incest is only okay if there's only one reproducing couple. Like Adam and Eve, something had to happen there. No, after the flood, something had to happen there. But now they're like, we have enough humans now, so cut that out. Which, I mean, for Noah after the flood, like, his kids were there and his kids' wives were there. So it was like, it wasn't, like, one person, but it was kind of like, oh, I guess I'm marrying my cousin. Or cousin, like, once removed and stuff like that, where it eventually breaks down, but that's gonna take a little while. And it takes some time. It all, it all everything takes time. One of the big anti-homophobia stories is Sodom and Gomorrah. Where when I was taught it in school was, it wasn't because of their sleeping with the same gender. It was more of the like, oh, they're greedy, they go against God, like they do pedophilia, they're just sleeping with kids and stuff like that. And even then, like, that's not a good story for multiple reasons, because the one person that saved from the city basically was like, people stormed at his door and and was just like, I'm not going to let you hurt the guests that I have in my house, because they're angels, we don't want to hurt angels, have my daughters instead. And then even after they get out of the city, the daughters are like, well, we need to have kids, so let's sleep with dad when he's drunk. So it's like... (laughs) The book of Genesis has some things going on while the world's being freshly made. Yeah, sounds like it. 
that nowadays when we look on it, we're like, this is not okay. This is just not not okay. And we know this is not okay. And even the Bible later on says, this is not okay. But now it's just like, but if a guy sleeps with a guy, God will just burn us all down. Yeah. Do you think that that's a big reason why we were reading over and over that the nuclear family, a man and a woman getting married and having sex and having children is what is keeping society stable? And if you are not doing that, then the very fabric of society will break down. The whole nuclear family thing, the Bible kind of uses that a lot, and I don't know if that's because it was written in later or if that was just the verbiage of the time, but, like, Jesus is called the bridegroom, and the church is the bride, and it's going to, like, like the wedding between the bridegroom and the bride is mentioned multiple times. So it's kind of just, like, the whole man and a woman, like, leaving their parents' house to live together, that's everywhere in the Bible. Like, literally everywhere. And it's just like, is that because it was, there wasn't 7 billion people, and it was just like, we gotta keep repopulating, we we gotta just keep going? Or is it because the American Christians are like, oh, this is how we want it to be, because this is just how society is, so let's just like, this could be read this way, right? (laughs) It's... (sighs) So this conversation actually reminded me because this happened recently on Twitter, which I found very funny that it came not too long after we released our four-part series, where um, Elon Musk said that declining birth rates is a bigger threat to the world than global warming. And I found that to be uh, quite a humorous concept. So, of course, we latched onto that and we're like, yeah, this kind of fits in with the things we were just talking about. Everyone who's saying, like, reproducing is the most important thing. But I kid you not, in a single tweet about Elon Musk having a weird take about how we can't let birth rates fall, <laughs> we had, like, an Elon Musk fanboy who... Oh, no. Must have been term searching because he doesn't follow us. I did not quote retweet Elon Musk. I just said the name Elon Musk. <laughs> and this guy literally jumps in. So here, here, here's the whole story. Someone called us insults to humanity and nature, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And that was a direct result of our four-part series was someone who found our podcast and was like, you are insults to humanity and nature. So the day after Elon Musk was like, declining birth rates. So we just tweeted and said, Elon Musk saying that low birth rates is a bigger risk to civilization than global warming and people still pay him even an ounce of attention. We're asexual, child-free, and just yesterday we got called insults to humanity and nature for this same conservative mindset. And someone term searched that and was like, you guys have gotta be fucking kidding me. What if there was a known fact that half the population could be wiped out over coming months? Who would give a fuck about global warming then? 
And we were like, man, if there was a mass extinction event targeting humans on that scale, in that time frame, the last thing we would be thinking is quick. Bring more infants into this mess. And this guy kept going. I, I expected him to just go away, but he was really, really in a twist about us saying this. And he was like, it is so unfair of you to be giving up on humanity. And I, I just eventually said, like, why are you so obsessed with our sex lives? Kind of creepy, to be honest. And then he called us peasants. <laughs> and I thought that was just the funniest thing that has ever happened to us on Twitter. I mean, I'm about to say something that might get some people angry. Uh-oh. Let's hear it. So, do you remember the game Death Stranding? Do you Have you heard about this game? We've both heard of it. We haven't played it. There is a single log file called an asexual world, which basically is a person claiming that so many people claimed to be asexual and stopped having sex and every birth rate started dropping so dramatically that started the end of the world. And obviously, some people are like, that's not okay. You're basically claiming aces are going to destroy the world here. <laughs> what? And then some people were firing back, being like, this is supposed to be a quack scientist. It's not supposed to be taken seriously. Like, it talks about, like, <laughs> demisexuality, but then, like, still is trying to push this. And it's like, why even write this? Just write like a nuke goes off or something. That's better than saying asexuals are sex lives are destroying the world because we're not having it. Why? It's so funny. It's <laughs> the whole birth rate hysteria like that that isn't a new thing as long as we've been as long as that has been tracked people have been all up in arms about it but somehow the same people like collecting the statistics don't know how to do basic math because like if your birth rate goes down from like 105 percent to like 98 percent that doesn't mean four billion people are gonna die next month right <laughs> that has no impact on the people that are alive and that it's, could change within a few months. Right. It's extremely variable. Even if the birth rate declines so that it's lower than the death rate and the population goes down, that can switch at any point. And I mean, I know multiple families, including my own brother, who... My brother has six kids. I know people who have seven, eight kids. And some of those were my classmates growing up. So... Christians have enough kids? <laughs> like, we can probably slow down a little bit. We don't need that many kids in our lives. Not to say kids are bad, but it's a lot of kids. I think kids are great. I absolutely adore children, and I I worked with kids for a number of years. I taught... I taught dance lessons for like 15 years, and I'm very sad that because of my health and the pandemic, I'm not still currently doing that. But I love kids and people who are like, why do you hate kids? It's like, I, I don't. <laughs> I love them. I want to teach them. I want to be a part of their lives. I want to, you know, <laughs> I want to, it takes a village mindset and help to raise children, but... I'm not going to birth children. That's just not going to happen. That doesn't mean I hate kids. That doesn't mean I'm trying to doom humanity. And I have the the opposite where it's like, I don't hate kids. Like, I, I will go along kids. I will have fun times with some kids. I did, like, summer, like, Christian activities with kids, like, for quite a few summers. 
where I was helping them with, like, their daily, like, gym classes and stuff like that. And it was kind of just like, I just, man, it's just not my thing. But nobody ever comes up to me because I'm a guy and says, well, you just hate children. Because that's not what, <laughs> guys are supposed to be hands off with their kids, right? Oh, yeah, the women are the maternal ones. Because mm. <laughs> there's no single fathers ever. Nope, never happened, not even once. <laughs> It is, and the Christian environment just doesn't help with that because the men are the heads of the household. They're the decision makers. They're supposed to be the one up top making all the decisions, and the wife's supposed to follow them and their lead and uh, just help them out to make good decisions for Jesus. Why? <laughs> you should be yeah. working together, not one on top. There's definitely, like, the breadwinner mentality, like, the moneymaker but then I have definitely heard some people take it a step further and say that, you know, the man of the household should also be the uh, religious leader of the household to make sure that his wife is uh, remaining a good Christian and that his children are, are brought up as good Christians. And it's almost sort of, when I hear it talked about in this sense, almost making every husband out to be like, his own mini pastor oh yeah and, <laughs> over his own household and i believe i i don't have the verse i'm trying to find it but there's verses where i think it's from paul who calls on med to be like jesus and to be a leader and like to shepherd his family like jesus shepherd the church and stuff like that so like the bible calls on that to some regard where the men should be the pastor and the one leading like doing prayers and like by studies with their family and making sure their kids and wife and everyone is good christians because it christianity as much as the bible says doesn't end at church because there are definitely some groups like well i go to church and i do the bible thing and i yeah and then there are some groups that are like nah you gotta you gotta be reading the bible every day you gotta be doing like be missionaries you gotta street witness you gotta be like jesus and to convert others Mm-hmm. Which felt awkward to me, always. Yeah, it does feel awkward. So I want to ask a couple more questions uh -huh. going back to your high school experience. Oh, yes. And then I, then I want to talk about how you've reconciled mm -hmm. all of this in your head as an adult. But I just had a memory because <laughs> I did not go to a religious school. But there was a very prominent Catholic school in the area I grew up in. And I want to know if this or any similar such stereotype existed at all in your school. And maybe it didn't. Maybe everyone was actually like, I am a very good Christian. And if I am not, I'm not telling anyone about it. <laughs> but it was, it was a pretty open secret that... Well, it was always like all of those girls at that school, which of course it was not all of those girls, but some of the girls at that Catholic school were known for doing anything but vaginal sex because <laughs> they had rationalized that like that's where the virginity is. So that's for my husband, but everything else is fair game. <laughs> See, the variant about that in my public school, talking about the nearby Catholic school, was they don't receive any sex ed, so they don't actually know what you are and aren't supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> they could be having sex and they're just like, this isn't sex! <laughs> <laughs> See, 
Oh my gosh, Royce. I yeah, know. I, I distinctly remember like uh, overhearing like a seventh or eighth grade boy say something like that at one point. Wow. So I know for me, that was definitely something that uh, if that came out, that would be a huge red flag for the school because there was somebody in my grade who got expelled for... I don't know if they were having sex or if they were just getting frisky in the back of a car. And a teacher basically, like, was walking in the parking lot, like, in the school parking lot, and saw them, and basically they got expelled, like, almost immediately. Wow. So it was kind of just the, like... Oh, if that was happening, I didn't hear about it because it would have been so hush-hush and people don't trust me to keep a secret. Do you hear my voice? (laughs) That's very, very interesting. But what also struck me as interesting was that even though it was all very hush-hush, you still had instances where, like, the groups of guys had guy talk. And I kind of want to throw it to Royce and ask, like, how did you avoid that? Because I feel like you've told me that you didn't really participate in guy talk and you also didn't really feel pressured to date anyone because you didn't start dating anyone until you were 18. Well, I think we've talked a little bit about how I realize now significantly removed from middle school and high school days that I had some heavy like masking behaviors going on. There was a point in high school where I started sort of involuntarily like screening what I would say. Like I was constantly running through conversations in my head to try to think of the right thing to say when I was in groups. So since that happened, like there was a time lag oftentimes when I was trying to speak up. And because of that, I didn't talk a lot. So I had a pretty standard reputation for being one of the quiet ones in class. So it wasn't out of character for me to not contribute to parts of conversation. I see. Because, yeah, I always find it interesting when I find another ace who was in prolonged relationships at a young age, because there aren't a ton of us. I know some people, it's because there's a level of aromanticism there, too, or they were just turned off by having a relationship at all, or being asexual was a complication to having a relationship at that time. But, like, I had long-term, well, long-term for relational to how old you were. (laughs) Um, I had long-term relationships in high school and kind of middle school even, but that that was a whole other thing. And one thing that I hated, because it sounds like at your school, it was assumed that you were not having sex because you were waiting to have sex until you got married, but it was probably assumed you were also getting married. I know during my time having a relationship, at some point after being in a relationship for a while, I it was revealed to me that if you are in a relationship, basically everyone assumes that you're having sex. And I was mortified. I was absolutely mortified. I was like, you you think we're having sex just because we're in a relationship? And I absolutely hated that information and that that was the case. <laughs> I know for the the guy talk, how I got out of it most of the time was either not being there or when I was forced to be there, like it being happening in homeroom. It was kind of the like my head in the book or me just smiling and nodding and just not really saying anything because like, I don't know what to say to this. Or like I said, reading a book because books are nice and aren't going to bother me with all that stuff. 
I was in a relationship for seven and a half years. So it was kind of like we started in the summer before ninth grade. And then it was uh, in 2008. And then we broke up late 2015. So it was throughout high school, throughout some of college. It was only until I got to college that, and I ran into people like when I was working help desk, that people started like vocally saying things and it started clicking like, oh, they're assuming I'm having sex with my girlfriend. Huh, because I wasn't going, I didn't go to a Christian college, I went to a private university, and so it was kind of just like, yeah, people had sex there, whatever, but people were now just being like, oh yeah, you and your girlfriend, yeah, and I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, sure. Yeah, getting those uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge comments. Oh, I hate those. Uh Oh, those are the worst. That's why I had to come out to my grandmother as asexual was because I was getting a lot of those kind of comments. And I was like, Grandma, this needs to stop. (laughs) Well, after I broke up with it, I used to get comments from my family all the time. Not in the like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you two are having sex because to my family, like that's not allowed. But it was the kind of, like, the expectation, like, you're going to have marriage and you're going to have kids and all this stuff. When we broke up, all of that stopped. And I distinctly remember at one point my family being like, it's okay if you come out to us as gay. Because I have a gay uncle who has a roommate. We all know they're in a relationship, but it's a roommate. And so it's like, it's fine if you come out as gay. And I'm like, but I'm not gay. And then my parents kind of rationalized it in, and this might put some people off, in my ex broke me and I can never love again. Oh, that's a thing. That is a thing. That is a thing. (laughs) And so it was kind of just like, to some regard, like some of it just stopped because they just assumed that I was going to be a lovely shrew or something like that. But there was still a bit of it because throughout high school, me and my roommate were very close. We read books, we talked about books and stuff like that. And people made jokes and be like, oh, she's going to steal you from your girlfriend, huh? Uh. And then now we're roommates together. And it was kind of just like, are you going to get together with her? Like, hmm? It's like, no, no, we're not. Just no. So it's like, it stopped to some regard, but then it didn't the whole sex thing and relationship thing it just it never ends even when you think it does (laughs) yeah that's oh that's a thing so (laughs) it's interesting that you had comments from family about like it's okay if you're gay and just like friends or other people making the like wink wink nudge nudge I, i know you're having sex kind of comments I feel like I have just the absolute weirdest family experience to coming out to family because I came out to my mother and my grandmother separately, and it was basically because of comments like that. And my mother or my grandmother, for the most part, was a lot more explicitly sexual in in her commentary and she kind of had been like ever since i was i don't know turned 15 or something because we would go to watch ballets together and she'd be like look at that guy's butt like the ballet (laughs) dancers in tights and i was like all right grandma so like i i knew that that she was not shy about those things but my mother had a weird phase where i was dating in high school And Royce, I don't even know if I've told you this yet. (laughs) 
But this, Uh-oh, new stories, new stories. So when I was like brand new relationship and my mother was meeting this guy for the first time as my boyfriend, she had met him a few other times as my gay friend. So that was a weird thing that happened. But she outright asked him in this first meeting as like, yes, we are in a relationship now. She said, so, are you a tits man or an ass man? Oh my gosh. And I was like, mother. (laughs) He was so uncomfortable. He was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say about this. So, like, this was several years removed from when I met Royce, but there was, like, something in the very back of my head that was like, I'm really nervous for Royce to meet my family. I don't think I've heard that story, but it's not that surprising. <laughs> See, I I never came out to my family because I knew there was going to be comments of, you can just say if you're gay, like, you don't have to be like this. Or, yeah, we understand you're broken, like, you don't have to talk to us about this. Oh. And so it's kind of just a, like, I don't feel the need to talk to you guys about that because it's going to be comments that are not going to be nice. So y'all can just never know about any of that stuff. And I mean, I tell my, like, there are some people, I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, I'm ace, which has come up during, like, D&D sessions where, like, people in-game are hitting on me, and then the DM stopping and being like, oh, crap, was this not okay? Like, are, are you okay with this? Like, does this, like, creep you out or anything like that? I'm like, just don't expect me to respond. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it's kind of just like, I had friends who asked me those types of questions. I remember going to the beach one time where people are like, look at that girl's butt. And I'm just like, it's a butt? I don't know what I'm supposed to say here. <laughs> like, Yep, that sure is a butt. <laughs> yeah, she's wearing a, a swimsuit. She sure is a person who has a butt. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why, that woman has a body. <laughs> y- you have identified that anatomy correctly. Yes! Exactly. Which is where it's like, and then people would be like, well, rate her. And I'm just like, person out of person. What? (laughs) Which is, which is probably why I didn't talk to guys that often. (laughs) Person out of person. That's the extent of it. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that, that was my perpetual anxiety was that guys were talking about me like that. (laughs) Actually. So here's the continuation of the, my mother asking my boyfriend when I was 15, if he was a tits or an ass man. She she kind of like pressed him because he was like, I don't think I should respond to that. And she's like, no, but but seriously, like you you can tell me it's fine. And I think he just said something like, I don't really want to answer that, but I will just say that whichever direction it goes, your daughter has it covered. And I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> horrible. <laughs> this is this is the worst conversation I have ever <laughs> participated in or spectated on in my life. When I was in high school, I was threatened with a shotgun to not touch his daughter or else I was going to be dead by a sniper marine. <laughs> That checks out. That checks out, though. That is such a thing, though, because so my father is dead to me, but he left my life when I was quite young. But when I was even younger than that, when he was in my life, we're talking like 
maybe five years old, he would tell me about how he was going to bring out his gun when I brought boys home. Like, I was told that this is what to expect. This is going to happen. It is inevitable. And even at that age, I was like, that seems excessive. Unhinged. <laughs> well, yes, I, I bring a guy over who is a very good friend, and now there might be murder? This is not okay. <laughs> I was like, this is not incentive for me to bring a guy home. <laughs> That's the point, though. Uh, that stems slightly from the purity culture thing. Don't touch the girls or else the guy's going to shoot you. Oh, no. Because the person man. who's starting that is a deeply religious man. Deeply went to church for four church services a week did, like, volunteer work, did this, that, like, super involved with the church, and then it's shotgun. Like, oh no! <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's why my first kiss was with a girl. Who knows? <laughs> like, it, there are so many things I could unpack about, like, why did I behave the way I did when I was younger between purity culture and just compulsory sexuality and also just compulsory heterosexuality just all of the different things it's like and just being very asexual and possibly demi-romantic too it's like there's just so much there to unpack like i don't know what caused what but <laughs> it, it, things were weird so that is kind of what i want to um hear about a bit from you. So you were 25 when this sort of clicked. What was the unpacking process? You you clearly had some things where you're like, yeah, that makes sense right off the bat. But what, what was the aftermath of that discovery? It was a lot of just thinking to myself, especially because I had just gotten out of a relationship. So I was unpacking multiple things. I was unpacking me as a person, figuring that out, me and my past relationship, and me as a, an ace Christian, because those three all intermingled and all to some degree overlapped, but they all were varying different at times because, like, me being a Christian didn't really affect the whole, like, oh, I'm not really, a ch like, I don't like anybody to a degree. So it was, it was unpacking a lot of that, and it was, I think, where I eventually came to with me as a Christian was... You know, I got told and told and told, God has a plan for everyone. God made everyone unique and special and yada, 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 yada. So it was kind of the like, well, God made everyone, quote unquote, like, depending on your definition of made because of the whole biological components and all that stuff. So, me being ace wasn't an accident. It had to be on purpose. This is just who I am. I was born this way. This wasn't from... This wasn't a choice of mine, like like the Christian talking points about uh, homosexuality is. Where it's like, this is a lifestyle choice. Like, no, me being ace wasn't a lifestyle choice. This is who I am. And I can point to my past and say, I've been consistent all throughout this. And because God, like, made me this way, then it's like, well, why is this wrong? Why is this a bad thing? And this isn't the gift of celibacy. This is just who I am as a person. And I was always told, like, some people are called to be a priest. Some people are called to be 
a missionary. Some people are called to work in this industry and spread the word of Jesus in their own way. Uh, and it's kind of like, well, I'm not actively trying to spread the word of Jesus. I'm not trying to convert my friends. I'm not trying to convert people on the street because that's not okay. And Christianity is a choice. Like, you can't force that on people. You have to very much be like, I want this for myself, and that's about it. Forcing it on anybody's not cool. And I that vocally said, if I wasn't raised Christian, I probably wouldn't have made that choice. I would have a very different life. But this is the life I have. And so, God made me this way, and this is just how I am. So I'm just going to live it the way that God wants me to. And if that is me being in a sexless marriage, if this is me finding a partner and we do have it and we are having sex for whatever reason, or if this is me remaining single, I'm going to deal with it because this must be what God wants for me. If that makes any sense. It does. It's you. It sounds like you made peace with living your life. Yeah. The way you want to live it and understanding that if this is the way you want to live your life, that was what God intended. That is how you were made. And, and there's there's a huge Christian debate about free will versus determinism. Like, do we have choice? Do we not have choice? And it's kind of like the, well, no matter which argument you go with, a gay person's still going to be a gay person a bi person is still going to be bi, I'm still going to be ace, there's fluidity and stuff like that, and sexuality does change after, like, over time, but, like, we're still going to be who we are, so either way, we're not sinning by being who we are. Like, our being, there's the concept of, like, original sin where you're born a sinful person. Like, from the moment you're born, you are sinful. But it's like, but being born gay isn't that sin. Being born ace isn't that sin. That's the whole Adam and Eve story with the fruits. Like, and us getting into a relationship and wanting to find, if we want to find a romantic relationship or whatever type of relationship you have, is that a sin though? Because, like, God just wants us to be happy and have our path. Like... As long as we're following the teachings of Jesus, like, what's there to be the problem here? And really, like, Jesus was the person who uh, was performing miracles and then go would go to dinner with prostitutes and go to the dinner, go to dinner with the people who was taking the taxes away from the Jewish people to give to the Romans. And with all these people that are, like, the lowest of the lowest class. And he was just like, hey, what are we going to have tonight type stuff? So it's just like, well, Jesus was around all these sinful people and was just like, no, they're the ones who need me. They're the ones who I should be with and I should teach to because they're important. So it's just demonizing them is not demonizing the queer people. It's not cool either demonizing me because I'm ace is not cool because this is just who we are and it's just like even if we are the lowest of the low in heavy quotes you should still be around them you should still be friends with them and you should still be like enjoying time with them because this is just this is their lives not to say the queer people are the lowest of the lows oh of course that's that's what some conservative yes. christians say there was definitely an article we pulled from that was like 
talking about platonic relationships and it was like this is the bottom of the slippery slope i was like oh really (laughs) this is the bottom which is interesting because there are definitely some christians on the conservative side of things like all of the organizations we were citing during our series that will very much pull this like hate the sin love the sinner which I don't really understand how some of them rationalize the things they do. Because the person who called us an insult to humanity and nature was like, we don't hate you, but you're an insult to humanity and nature, and your views are backwards, and (laughs) your lives are worthless, but that's not hate. And it's like, what are you talking about? You just called us an insult to humanity and nature. It sounds like you hate us. There is something that I heard when I was in high school that was the line, all sin is the same in God's eyes. You could be a murderer, you could have committed genocide, you could be a thief. It's all the same to God. And it was usually said that way in the type of stuff to be like, and God can forgive all of that because Paul, he killed the Jewish people. He, like, was the one doing the stuff like feeding them to the lions. He was on that side of things because he hated Christianity, but then he became Paul and is now one of the most revered people out there, you know? So it's the type of stuff where it's like, yeah, all sin is the same in God's eyes, and some Christians take it to the extreme of being like, you sleeping with the same gendered person is the same as you murdering someone. You aborting that baby is the same as doing all these terrible things. And it's like, this is not the way it's supposed to be used. It wasn't supposed to be used in a hateful way. It's supposed to be used in like, no, but it's all forgivable to God because like, he sees past that stuff. I hate Christianity sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) More accurately, it sounds like you hate the myriad of ways that it's interpreted. I hate the way that white Christians interpret it specifically, because we've had this conversation on stream where, like, the black community does Christianity differently than white communities do. And it's normally the white Christians in power and the white Christians that are doing this. So when I'm saying that, I'm more saying I kind of hate how white Christians <laughs> rationalize all this. Well, yeah, and that that's why I try to usually say, like, when I'm having these conversations, like, the conservative yeah. Christians, because I have friends who are Christian. You're, you are a friend of ours who is Christian, and there there are many Christians in the ASPEC community, but they do Christianity the loving yeah. way, not the hateful way, and... I am in no place as an atheist to be like, well, these people are practicing the religion right. These people are doing it wrong. I can just look at it from the secular point of view as this person is cool. We can be friends and hang. That person is an asshole. And there's the type of stuff where it's like, are you taking the Bible as a literal thing? Or are you taking Bible as a something you interpret? Because if you're taking it as a literal thing, some of the things that they do, yeah, it's just following what the Bible says. It's fine because they're following Christianity. And if you take it as something that you interpret, well, then it gets a little bit more dicey. 
because that's when it's going to get with the different interpretations and the different meanings and the this, that, the other thing, where it's just anybody can rationalize a lie and be like, this is under the brand of Christianity, which is kind of where I then have a problem with the church as an entity, because I've looked up a bunch of different sects of Christianity, and I'm like, I don't mesh with any of these, and a lot of them are doing not very nice things to people, and it's getting... How about I just am a Christian who just stays away from the church and just handles it myself? Because I was taught that Christianity was a relationship with God. And anything past that is kind of just like, well, this is man-made stuff I'm not worrying about. Like, I need to just step away from all that. That's actually pretty in line with a lot of my other friends who are Christians, because I'm friends with a lot of people who are not Christians, whether they're atheists or they follow a different religion. But most of my friends who are Christian tend to have their own personal relationship with God, but they detest the organized religion. Yeah, and that's very much what it is, because you see the stuff with the Catholic Church, and you see, like, um, the Baptist Church picketing, and it's kind of just the, like, you're saying that you love people, but would Jesus go with you on this? And there are times where Jesus was a very angry person in the Bible and flipped tables and whipped people and stuff like that. But it's kind of just the, like, would Jesus be in line with saying that, like, you're a murderer for getting an abortion? Would Jesus be okay with the way that you treat gay people, bi people, pan? Because I don't think so. It's kind of just furthering political ends to a degree. Because I was always taught that, like, this is a very Christian nation and we've just gone away from our Christian values, kind of like what you guys were saying earlier and in those episodes. And it was just like, we have to be fighting to get our Christian values back. And that once we step out into the world, some terrible things might happen to us in the name of Christianity. Like, I was legitimately taught that I could be killed in the name of Christianity, which now I look back at and be like, who in America is going to kill me because I'm Christian? More than likely, they're going to be killed for a wide variety of reasons. Christian's not going to be the thing. That's fascinating. So that, that was like taught to you. <laughs> I would use the exact wording, but it could be very triggering, <laughs> which I'm just like, I don't know if I want to go into that. I kind of want to hear it, or at least as much as you're interested in sharing, just because of the fact that a lot of these conservative organizations who, I, I do want to make this abundantly clear if, if anyone has made it this far, <laughs> I, th I think everyone who still made it this far sees what we're trying to do with these conversations, but none of this is supposed to be anti-Christian. No. None of this is like atheist versus Christianity. No. This is here are religious groups that are trying to affect other people's yes. lives by enshrining this into law. And here is why that is an issue. And it has now become my problem because of that. But they're all very alarmist and very extremist in like, it's not just I personally dislike trans people. I personally dislike asexual people. So I don't think that should be legal. It's like, if we allow people to be this way, 
all of society will unravel. And the fact that you are not Christian is an actual threat to me. And and that's the kind of rhetoric that is very confusing as an outsider, because especially as someone who is one a couple of the groups that they're trying to attack, it's like, I'm not hurting you. I'm <laughs> I'm just existing. That's interesting because I, I haven't heard of any Christian identifying individual being told something like that. But some of the like Christian talking points as a whole, as some organizations do seem to have a bit of a persecution complex where it's like, you are attacking my practice of my religion to actively discriminate against you sort of thing. Oh, yes. And I was basically taught that, like, you know, Christians were, like, sent to the lions to be, like, because they were Christians, they were crucified, and that never really stops. And I was told directly, I don't know if it was in a Bible class or a different class, but we were told directly in our Christian high school that at one point, once we leave high school and we're out in the world, as they, like, the secular world, that there is a high chance that um, people will find out we're Christian and will, like, basically, like, put a gun to our head and say, revoke Jesus or I'm going to kill you right now. Wow. Spoiler alert, the, the world isn't very secular. <laughs> uh, was... was <laughs> You're... Tr- Courtney has a friend who is Israeli Jewish who's like, all of you Americans are Christian. Even the atheists and agnostics, like, you guys are Christian. <laughs> yes. I could see that. Which, which is also interesting because when I was having a conversation with her about how when I was a kid and families of friends of mine would just, like, take me to their yep. church and there was no conversation yep. about it and there was no, like, asking my mother if it was okay or anything. They'd just do it. Yep. She was like jaw on the floor she was like people just bring you to their church i was like yeah everyone pretty much yeah, when i was growing what, up what if you were muslim what if you are jewish what if you're a hindu like being brought to a christian church like what like that wouldn't be okay to some families but like here it's kind of like <laughs> yep on sunday some families might just take you to church I, yeah. I mentioned earlier being sort of laughably oblivious to religion like, pretty much up until a certain point in high school, when I see it, everything started to click. But there was one time in elementary school where I stayed the night at someone's house for their birthday. And, like, my family, no one went to church. No one really talked about religion. I kind of just grew up thinking that a lot of the references to religion that were everywhere were just, like, colloquialisms. Like, just turn a phrase. This is just something <laughs> that people said that was used to illustrate something but wasn't a real thing. And so... After this kid's birthday, we ended up going with him, me and a couple of other guys who had stayed the night to uh, a Sunday school. And like, I didn't know really what was going on, but it was like, oh, a bunch of kids go to like a, a building, like a gymnasium sort of building and they play games. And there was a point where they were reading a book and I, like, I vaguely understood what was going on, but I was like, oh, this is kind of neat. You guys come together and play games and read together. Like, the book's kind of boring. You could probably find a better book, but, but this is kind of neat. <laughs> it's it's just a, a book and game club. You know, that would be a nice Sunday school, though. Just, like, books and just a fun, like, a fun book and games. Like, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> wow, that's that is quite something. But let me ask you this, because the gun to your head thing, 
Did that happen to be pre or post Columbine? Oh, so I started high school in 2009. Oh, okay. And because so, uh, I, wonder if that, I wonder if that was a thing that was at all said pre-Columbine, because I know that when that happened, which uh, for any of our younger listeners, obviously, like, school shootings is, uh, it's a thing these days that it happens regularly. <laughs> but Columbine was before a time where we expected a mass shooting every single day. So it was a really, really big thing. But I remembered all of the sort of Christian martyr stories about it that ended up coming out because the story was, you know, the gunman held a gun to a girl's head and said, do you believe in God? And she said, yes. And he shot her. Like, that was a story that was repeated so often. There were, like, Christian metal bands writing songs about that. And probably a lot of Christian not metal bands, but writing about that exact story also. So what I am curious about was, did that just become a big talking point as a result of Columbine? Or was this something that people said pre-Columbine, and then they just sort of latched on to that particular tragedy to double down and reconfirm that? That would be super interesting. I'm so young in comparison, and I have such a bad memory that, like, when I'm much younger, I don't remember a thing. I know it was definitely said to me in high school, and I remember... 2019, 2020? I think it was 2019. I went to Christmas Eve church with my family, and there was a person, like an 80-year-old woman stationed at the door, and it was basically like, I am going to be staying here because what if a Muslim person attacks this church right now? Ugh. Oh. Oh. And like, so that has kind of so racist that has kind of like become so pers like and this was a completely different church this was a church that my grandmother goes to which is different than the church that i went to in elementary school and the and the uh high school i went to like this is a completely third church where it's kind of just like it's to some communities in christianity it is just everywhere where just going to church could be a death sentence to them. Well. Even, and I remember st hearing stories about, like, there are churches in China where they could die at any moment, but they're still meeting up. Like, that was, like, a big talking point when I was uh, younger. And now it's kind of, like, blended in with the just going to church on Sunday, we could just die because a shooter could be like, I hate Christianity enough and I hate this church and I have guns, so I'm going to shoot it up. And it's kind of like, yeah, sadly, church shootings do happen, but I don't think it's going to be happening in the suburbs on, like, on this, in this suburb. It could, but I don't think it will. Well, most of the Christian church shootings that... I'm aware of were black churches. Yeah. Like there there was a racism element to it. <laughs> yes. Like I I mean maybe it has happened. There are just so many mass shootings. They're they're hard to keep track of in this country. <sighs> but it kind of like the Christian victimhood 
is everywhere. Christians definitely, especially the farther right Christians, view themselves as constantly under attack. And what they're doing is just trying to fight back and help save the world in the name of God. I think part of that may extend from like an upheld belief in martyrdom. Courtney, what got us into this discussion was you bringing up Columbine, and I'm pretty sure that I had heard that story as well. I'm pretty sure that that story was not true. I I haven't fact-checked it. I mean, at the time— I just double-checked it right now, and it's widely believed that it was misattributed and that the the person who did go through that sort of exchange survived the encounter. Oh, oh. So, so the, the story that I widely heard in school and that you just repeated was twisted and used as a martyr story. And that doesn't surprise me. I, I mean, at the time, it was something I heard and I heard it repeated very often. And it was very much presented as fact, like we know that this happened. But there, there did come a time after a few years of hearing it over and over and over again that I was like, well, if she died and there was this shooter who was shooting everybody, who was like the witness that saw and heard that to relay that to everyone because it didn't. <laughs> yeah. So that, that that's interesting. That's interesting. I hadn't really looked into that to fact check it in a while, but I I just knew that that was... That was a common talking point. Yeah, it was a common talking point, and some Christians latched onto that as, like, a death is coming, we need to save as many people as possible type thing. Like, we need to save this country because, like, we're the ones who created this country after coming over on the Mayflower and... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Christians created the country. <laughs> yeah, uh huh. So we we need to bring it back to the Christianity where you can teach Bible in school and everyone prays and all this stuff because yeah, that's going to save the school. Like we've heard a thousand times lately. Yeah, which is the the bring it back to Christianity is such an interesting thing because like now we have in God we trust on our money, which is wild to me. It it has never not seemed weird. But that happened while my grandmother was alive. Like, it was not that long ago. Like, my grandmother is older than in God we trust or the one nation under God being in the Pledge of Allegiance. From a quick Google search, I think my parents were alive during that because that was in 1955 that got put into law. Where in God we trust is yeah. a pour into money. That was all, I believe, under the Eisenhower yep. administration. Mm -hmm. And it was, I believe, a reaction to Soviet influence. It was like, if we're going to beat the Soviet Union, we are going to institutionalize Christianity to bring America together. So it was a very intentional violation of the First Amendment. <laughs> you think they care about the First Amendment and separation of church and state? <laughs> There, yep, 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 yep. I find that some of these people that have these same talking points that we spoke about at length definitely value the Second Amendment <laughs> above all the other ones, which is also wild to me. You just reminded me, you know how you would say the Pledge of Allegiance? We said the Pledge of Allegiance, I remember, in elementary school. And then there were times, I don't remember if it was on specific days or what, but there was a Pledge of Allegiance to a Christian flag that we also said. Uh, 
Really? Yes. That's news to me. It was in elementary school, and we were basically like, yes, we're going to, like, pledge allegiance to the nation, but we're also, like, going to pledge allegiance to God because, like, God always comes first before the nation. But that was definitely a thing that I had to do, like, in elementary school. Fascinating. Yeah. The Pledge of Allegiance is something that at a certain point in my life I realized was really messed up. Yeah. (laughs) And I stopped standing for it, which is also interesting because when I was like a very young child, I was very much just like, I want to be the good child. I want to make sure that the adults see that I am doing what I am supposed to be doing. So when things like you have to say the Pledge of Allegiance every day and being like praised for pledging allegiance to the country and being a good patriot and being a good patriot as being a good citizen and all of those things were sort of like ingrained into us. There was even a period of time where I like wanted a little American flag to put in my bedroom so that I could do the Pledge of Allegiance like on the weekends when we didn't have school. Because I was like, if we're we're being told that we should pledge allegiance to the flag every day, but my logical brain and my brain of wanting to do what the adults told me was being good, I was like, well, why would I not do it on the weekends if I'm supposed to pledge allegiance to the flag every day? Oh, no. So I got a little flag and I said the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag in my bedroom as a very young child. And then like fast forward a few years later, I was like, it is really messed up Yeah, that they're making us pledge allegiance to the flag. And then I was like the rebellious kid who wouldn't stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance. So that, that, was, a, that was a full circle moment for me. We stopped saying the Pledge of Allegiance when I transferred schools because the school that I transferred to didn't say the Pledge of Allegiance because they're like, yeah, we're not going to pledge ourselves to a country because that's false idol worship. We should only be pledging to God. So, like, we're not going to say that. So it was never a thing after, like, seventh grade for me. Interesting. Yeah, my, like, high school didn't have the Pledge of Allegiance, but I think that just became, like, you guys are old enough, you get it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we we don't need to do this. But saying it to kids, though, why? Ugh. I, I, there are a lot of things that, as an adult, I look back on my childhood and I'm like, that that was, that was pretty messed up. <laughs> I, I don't know why that was allowed. Yeah, I don't know. Ah, uh, this world. Are there any other very specific, like, lessons or talking points that you were exposed to that we didn't necessarily cover on our four-part series or anything that you personally had an issue with or had trouble reconciling? There was a lot, right? Because especially when I was in Bible classes, they would, like, my ninth grade, we were our first Bible class in ninth grade, or the first, because we, in high school, we studied one entire chapter in the entire year. So the first thing we did in ninth grade was the book of Revelation. So it's like, ah, we're going through high school. Now we're going to talk about the end of the world. Great. Because Christians are also kind of obsessed with the end of the world. A lot with obsessed with the end of the world. Which is a wild thing to me. But that doesn't have to do with the whole sexuality thing. That's just a thing Christians are obsessed with. Yeah, I mean, there there was the 
the rapture that was supposed to happen, what was that, like 2011? Something like that. You mean every few years, it seems like? Yeah, it, it seems to repeat. <laughs> it does. It Like, new dates get added, but the, the one in, I think, 2011 sticks out to me because my mother, who is not religious, but is around religious people and has been her whole life, I distinctly remember her being like, oh, I don't really believe in it, but just in case. <laughs> and and after whatever time, it was supposed to happen at a very specific time on a very specific day, I remember her like texting me to ask if I was still here. And I was like, yes, yes, mother, I am still here. <laughs> Which I read the big story that like people know is the Left Behind books. And there's movies about it and stuff. And it's about the rapture and the whole book of Revelations, like, happening. And I read them in middle school and high school. Like, I went through all of those books. From an outsider looking in, they're very interesting reads about how the Christians view the how the end of the world is going to be. But I was told, in regards to that stuff, like, the European Union should dismantle itself because it's going to bring about the end of the world. Mm. Like, these things... Like, technology is getting too advanced and stuff like that because, like, the microchips are going to start getting implanted in us. Like, stuff like that where it's kind of like, okay, little extremist to be saying these things, but okay, especially the high schoolers. Courtney. Ah, yeah? What did your mom say to just in case do to try to prevent being maybe raptured? Like, I, I feel like if you think that that's going to happen, there's no real preparation to be done. There isn't really anything you can do. I don't think she told me to do anything. I think she, at one point, made a comment implying that, like, if the rapture does exist, like, I would be worthy, but she wasn't. So I think she just, I think she just did, like, a, I love you, be safe kind of a thing. <laughs> So so when you were still there at the end of the day, she was like, oh, Courtney's got some secrets. <laughs> no, I, I, there was a moment where I was like, I'm just going to mess with her a little bit because I was actually hanging out with some friends and one friend was very Catholic. And I was like, man, he, he went to the bathroom like a long time ago and never came back. <laughs> so, so actually along with that, when I was younger, I used to have... Uh, nightmares about that and horror stories oh, no. about that where it's like there will be one day i will wake up and everyone's gonna be gone and i'm still gonna be here and it's gonna be a sign that i wasn't good enough of a christian oh that's traumatic <laughs> and i've talked with other like my roommates and other people they're like yeah that's just how it is like you just have that <laughs> because they ingrain that like only true christians are gonna get raptured and you have to like if you read Left Behind series, like, that author's like, yeah, if, like, if you believe, like, all ways lead to heaven, that, like, Muhammad and Jesus and the Buddha are all, like, prophets to be, like, and will lead to heaven, like, the author's like, no, that's not real. Like, that won't lead you to being raptured. So it's very much a, like, am I a good enough Christian? And if the rapture happens, will I get taken along with it? <sighs> like... <laughs> Will I have to suffer this traumatic event that they say is going to happen to every living person? Wow. So, so many times during the course of this conversation, I've been reminded of something and I wasn't going to say anything because the show has its own like issues. I don't want to get into all of the issues, but so many things you've said remind me of the Book of Mormon. Mm, I've, I've not seen 
it's a fascinating show, but <laughs> it's got some issues. I think I read that they're trying to rewrite some of the more problematic bits, but I, I don't know all the details of that. But there is very clearly a couple of like, at least one, but I think a couple of gay Mormons, and they're like, oh, we, we turn it off. <laughs> if, if you have those homosexual feelings, you just turn it oh. off like a, light, like a light switch. To clarify real quick, you understand that this is a musical yes. put on by the creators of South Park. Oh, is it by the creators <laughs> of South Park? Yes. It is. Uh, it yes. is, they, it is they hilarious the <laughs> often in the ways that South Park is sometimes also over the top offensive. Ah, see, I didn't know that part of it. Yes. So so that that's an extra layer of that. So there's like the turn it off like a light switch. Uh, your high school sounded a little reminiscent of that. But they also talk about the spooky Mormon hell dream. Ah. Where like, yeah, every Mormon kid has the spooky Mormon hell dream. We've all had it. <laughs> And it's like, oh, oh, you're you're reminding me of a story that I didn't actually get to experience, but we were told that we were going to get to experience. So (laughs) get ready for more Christian trauma. That's what this episode, I think, is about to be titled as Christian drama with trauma with Sharky. I mean, we we can make that the (laughs) title of this episode if you want us to. (laughs) This is a joke. So senior year, every year, they take us to one of the nearby mountains for winter retreats, like right before we graduate. Like we would get back and we would basically, no, not winter. It was like a spring retreat. And we would basically like go through our graduation, like almost as soon as we got back. Like it was that close to graduation. And we didn't get to experience it because the place had flooded recently. But they said that they normally take everybody who's willing so if you're not willing, you don't have to go because there's some claustrophobia concerns. And you basically will go into a cave and they're like, it's going to be a tight cave. So like, you're going to have to like squeeze. So like, it's going to be a problem. Like, again, you don't have to go. And then you would go into a cavern. It would be a big enough cavern that you all can just sit down and just have a little bit of rest. And they would say to you, okay, everyone, turn off all your lights. We want no lights. And you weren't allowed to bring like your cell phone or anything. It was just like little flashlights. Turn off your lights. And once everyone did, it would be pitch black. Like, you could not even see your hand in front of your face pitch black. And they would be like, this is what hell is like. Oh, It's not the fire. It's not the brimstone. This is what hell is like. If you go to hell, this is what you'll have to experience for eternity until the whole book of Revelations happens. And it's kind of, again, we didn't get to go through this because it was flooded. But it's kind of the, like, we were told about this and I was like, is this okay? Can you be telling, like, I understand we're 18, but you can you be telling us this? You're basically like, be a good enough Christian or you're going to be stuck in a void for all eternity. Interesting. Interesting. I, I haven't heard of that rendition of hell before. That's very interesting. We, this isn't relevant to anything <laughs> except hell. We played a game called After Party. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I love, I have watched that game and I want to play it. <laughs> it's it's a pretty good one. It was an interesting one. It was, is that the same creators as Oxenfree, Rice? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, Oxenfree was a very good game. Uh, we enjoyed it a lot and that's what got us onto After Party where you're like, playing drinking games with satan and other devils in hell <laughs> i think ox oxen free there's a second one coming out soon i don't know how soon but i'm very excited for it it's a good game but hell wouldn't be so bad if you're just like 
partying it up with demons, I guess. <laughs> if you were partying it up with demons, yeah, that doesn't sound like it would be too bad. <laughs> Being in a perpetual state of uh, I am alone, like in a void, literally not around anybody else. Like, kind of imagine, like, stuck in space, just drifting there type thing. That sounds terrifying. In perpetuity, yeah. Temporarily, it it actually kind of sounds great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it does. Like, I, I would go to that cave and turn off the lights just f for a day. <laughs> but it was that kind of stuff where, like, we were constantly told that, like, we need to... Not believe in Jesus better, but if we ever slip, slide, and revoke Jesus and God and all that stuff, like, this is how it's going to turn out. This is what's going to happen. And kind of, like, very much the scare tactics to keep us Christian, which seem to now be going everywhere and is now scare tactics to keep us nuclear family straight. <laughs> Yes, very much that. Well, and I'm I'm curious to hear if you had any experience hearing any of these talking points, because one thing that we uh, maybe addressed briefly in our series, but wasn't the main point, and we, we, we still had hours of recording, but a lot of these same organizations that are condemning asexuality and platonic marriages and all of this stuff are very much all the same ones that are also pro-conversion therapy. And they, we were often seeing them rationalize it as conversion therapy isn't any different than any other therapy. And we are pro-therapy. Therapy is a good thing. It helps you live your best life. If you, like, disregard, you know, the, like, the suicide rate and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, all that science yeah. <laughs> and statistics. Conversion therapy wasn't a thing when we were younger at least when i was younger it wasn't a talking point because at least in the schools that i went to churches i was in it was basically like well if you pray to god hard enough you'll be able to like push down the gay and just live a straight life type thing or just don't get married don't act on it and just keep pushing God's will in your own way and just try to ignore that, like, gay stuff. So we never really combated that whole thing. I really only learned about that later in life when I was a little bit more talking with people outside of the church and learning more about, like, the world outside of this extreme church that I grew up in. And so that's when I found out, and I'm like, this is not okay. They're doing some terrible things to these people like what and it, it's in that similar vein of being like well god's supposed you're supposed to be straight you're supposed to marry a woman and just the devil's in you and you, you just need to pray the gay away or do whatever is possible to get the gay away uh because the devil's just tempting you and this is just a a bad sin <sighs> i feel bad saying these things <laughs> Well, that's good, because you shouldn't feel good saying them. <laughs> but yeah, and I guess I'm I'm so happy that you were willing to share these things with us on, on the podcast for, for our pod people. I don't know why I called them that at the top of this episode. I, I guess it's just because we don't have a, a word or a name for what our listeners are. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
because I, I think there are a lot of queer people who are religious who are sort of struggling to sort of find their place in it and understand what their responsibility is also as a Christian to condemn the very hateful, politically motivated side of things. Because I, I, I've talked to plenty of aces or other more broadly queer people who are outright like, I was raised Christian, but I left the church yes. because of all of this. And I am no longer religious because of this. But but that's not for everybody. Yeah. Like just leaving the religion altogether is not for everybody. So but there there is also can be a lot of trauma there. If if you grew up as a queer person, if you just grew up in one of these more extremist branches of the religion, there can be a lot of trauma. And it's it's hard to balance unpacking your trauma and also figuring out what your responsibility is to this because I don't know. It it kind of it kind of seems like there's no right answer because when when we talk about the the issues with this conservative Christianity, there are some people who are going to be like, "Well, you don't understand Christianity because you're not a Christian and you're atheist and who are you to be talking about this religion?" But I also don't hear like a ton of queer Christians actually centering their own viewpoints of this if that makes sense. And I, I don't, I don't know, maybe you have some ideas. Is that kind of just like everyone's a little bit traumatized and they're still <laughs> unpacking their own stuff or is it a matter of safety? It, it's very hard to say one way or another, right? Because I know for me, I've kind of, to some degree I've reconciled, there's probably still a little bit in the back of my head that's like, mm, but Christianity says this. But it's kind of just the, like, I am ace, I am Christian, that's who I am, and I will be very vocal, and I understand that I'm vocal. I'm not always a very vocal person about these things. Um, as you've seen on the streams, I try my best not to get in Christian rants and spend two hours <laughs> screaming about Christianity. <laughs> and it could be a little bit of still reconciling it. It can be a little bit of just... Kind of like me, well, I'm Christian, I, I grew up Christian, this is kind of what we know. Like, there's so many different flavors and walks of life, and trying to unpack all of it, to the point where I can see leaving the church and leaving Christianity is, makes so much sense as any type of queer person, or as just a straight person who went through this trauma. And it's kind of like the, I know I didn't hear the about the letter, until you guys mentioned it. I know that, like, I knew that, like, yeah, there's the Respect for Marriage Act. Like, I know, I know Christians are against it because, of course, Christians are against it. Because why would they respect any marriage that's not a straight sexual marriage? But, like, I didn't hear about, like, the organizations, like, writing a letter until y'all were like, here is the letter. We're reading it. We're screaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's because... Well, we, we felt like it was important to talk about for a few different reasons, right? Like, one thing that most aces are very familiar with hearing is, like, how are aces discriminated yeah. against? Or to take it even a step further, sometimes, like, aces don't face discrimination. You just want to be special. Like, we, we hear those things all the time. So I wanted to illustrate, like, here is something that could actually have severe political ramifications. And look at how many organizations are behind it. And 
like they are organizing. This isn't just one or two random people on the fringes of these beliefs. Like this is an organized collective here that we're talking about. But also because whenever religion does become wrapped up in these political talking points, very often the only arguments I hear from people who are Christian but don't believe these things and see that this is bigoted, they will very often just cite the religion and the way they see it. And it, it kind of also goes back to the like, well, you're not a real Christian if you think this, because I am a real Christian and I think this. And as an outsider looking at that back and forth, it has just never seemed productive to oh, me. Oh, and it's not. Because none of you are going to change the other's mind. <laughs> So I wanted to take it from a like, here are the political issues. Yes, they are using religion to justify their views, but this is affecting all of us if if these laws get passed and if these talking points gain traction in, in the Republican Party. And, and we already know they are gaining traction because that's... They are gaining because traction. Because I grew up in the you're voting Republican because they are the Christian party and because they will push Christian values and they will push this nation to be a Christian nation above all else. And so the Republicans are just like, we know Christians want this, so we're going to push this. And a lot of other shadier things. <laughs> but yeah, uh, abortion was a really big talking point in that I was reading just sort of the history of how that became such a defining talking point. <laughs> And a lot of it was to pull over Democratic voting Catholics and th things of that nature. And now that is the justification for a lot of these major laws. And what people don't always realize, because you hear someone say something like, asexual marriage should be illegal. Asexual people are a threat to the very fabric of society. And like, most rational people are going to be like, well, that's just nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and it, it is nonsense, but it's not nonsense we can just sh shove off to the side and be like, well, that doesn't matter. And, and I think there is a slight degree of uh, this is just a vocal minority that people think is so small it doesn't actually matter. I remember that one of Satan's friends calls them... Not a good word, but the crazies, where they are the super extreme, the super right wing, and but they're so small, they're just very loud, but they're not actually going to do anything because, like, that's just not how Christians are. They're just a small, like, extreme minority. And then me, I mean, the my high school was a K through 12 school. I just didn't go through it all those years. It was a thousand kids in total. It was a big church. So it's kind of just like, they're, yeah, they're probably not like the super majority, but like, they ain't tiny. And there's probably a little bit of like, they're just like a tiny, like, group who's just screaming, gay people are bad! But like, real people don't like, it's not like what the majority think. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's where they get you, though, because they're also highly organized. Yes. Oh, yes. Like, yeah, you, you could say the same thing about 
disregarding conspiracy theorists. Like, as a kid, I thought it was well understood that, like, there were the disparaging comments, like the, the tinfoil hats. Like, everyone knows that these people exist, but they're just kind of off in their own world. And now we have people in Congress who openly support conspiracy theories yep. because <laughs> of how widespread information can get. Yep. Well, and... It's so scary now because, you know, Roe v. Wade did get overturned. But reading some of the articles we pulled from that were, you know, three, four, five years old, talking about how, you know, platonic marriages shouldn't be legal and gay marriage should not be legal and that that needs to be overturned, they directly cite the the pro-life movement they say we need to take a page from the book of the pro-life movement because look at how much ground they've gained they know what they're doing so we need to do the same thing for gay marriage and now <laughs> roe v wade did get overturned but it's wild when we're like you know marriage rights are under attack for asexual people for gay people trans people like it is under attack sometimes there will even be people in the queer community or in the ace community that are like oh you're just being alarmist like that's not really an issue and it's like no but have you actually listened to what they're saying <laughs> this is what they're saying it is next and it's very much like um like know thy enemy like I remember being told that, like, when you're gonna go, like, witness to people, or when you're gonna go, like, talk with people, like, have some common ground, like, know what you're saying so that you're able to, like, talk to them and convince them. So, I can very much see and can tell that, like, they're coming at it with, like, the, yeah, th uh, know thy enemy, like, this is what they're saying, how are we gonna rebuttal it to prove our point oh, better? I knew it! <laughs> I knew it! Because this is how you convince Christians is like, the, oh, hey, like, like you listen to this music and, like, get to know them as people, and then you just, like, slowly start putting that in there, and then, like, yeah, I can totally see that on a wider scale, like. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, I, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> That's something I've been saying, too, because in, in the Ace community especially, everyone's like, we're the invisible orientation. No one knows we exist. No one sees us. And I look at some of the things the conservative Christians are saying about us to their own demographics, and I'm like, there is no way in hell they aren't listening to us. I don't know who they're listening to or where they're getting this information, but back Nearly a year ago at this point, this horrible, horrible article was written in response to Ace Week when girl guiding in the UK just made a very innocuous, like, happy Ace Week, we support Aces post on Twitter. And that blew up. And now the Safe Schools Alliance UK is talking about how asexuals are a threat to children because we're groomers, we're predators. And this was even before the major, like, recent boom in people being called groomers if they're anywhere in the queer <laughs> spectrum. So this was very much a predecessor, but they were using things Same talking points. that we say. we Because we'll say things that will be like, you know, being asexual doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have sex. Some people are asexual and do have sex. And then in that article, they are explicitly saying, 
Asexuality does not mean you don't have sex. So, therefore, if they're telling that to children and children aren't feeling sexual feelings, they're going to tell children you're asexual. And if they tell children you're asexual, but that still means you can have sex, that's how they're going to groom children to have sex with them. And it's awful, vile, despicable things. But it's like, they didn't just make no. up that they they used a point that we say and they they made a narrative around it to raise the alarm bells about us because we are not grooming children, but they are using words that we use. Well, and it's the same thing. Justify their it's points. It's the same thing with like sexual fluidity and like how sexualities can change over the lifetime or that like it's a choice because like, well, if sexualities can change, then you're then like then that means you can just choose not to have sex with the person until like, because it's just going to change over time or oh well aces can have sex so why are you that's a choice so you're choosing to go against god's will because you totally are able to have sex there's nothing wrong with you to say you can't so it's very much just pushing their own narrative because they want to push their narrative <laughs> Yes. Well, and, and that's what we need to realize, too, because back when I, I found that article from the Safe Schools Alliance, I took a couple of screenshots and I posted them on Twitter just to be like, hey, these are the things they are saying to us, trying to not link directly to the article, but to still show people what was being said. And several people would be like, these people have no idea what asexuality is. Oh, yeah. These people don't know what asexuality means. And it's like, that is not the point. Because then if we allow ourselves to say, well, this is just an issue of ignorance, this is lack of education, then the problem is still not solved. Because this isn't just they don't know what asexuality is. This is they hate us. So they're listening to what we're saying so that they can turn our words against us for their own political gain. I remember 2018, around there, I was hanging out with a friend and their family, and uh, we were having, like, dinner or something, and they were like, oh, we saw a sign that says LGBTQ, like, QIA. What does the A even stand for? Why? I thought it was just LGBT. Like they're they're just Oof. making up letters, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is a lot to unpack here that I'm not going to start right now yeah. because that is a long conversation. That's not going to mean anything. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the like, yeah. There's a lot of Christians who either don't know we exist or don't care because we're sinful it's kind of the like well you're lumped together with the gays and all them like you're saying you're queer and queer is queer is sinful <laughs> and then you're also on top of that not like not having sex or you're not getting married and it's just like that's sinful too so it's, just, it's a lot <laughs> yeah it is a lot so yeah, oh, the, the know thy enemies thing. <laughs> oh. I was actually, when you guys were posting that, I'm like, my brain kind of was just like, oh, right, because that's a thing. And like, I do vaguely remember being told that type of stuff. You're like, oh, yeah, come to think of it. Because like, <laughs> I was taught that. I didn't take any of those classes because there was actually electives in my high school for, there was an apologetics elective, which is my roommate actually took. 
because she was very much more into that environment than I was. I would rather have taken band and computer classes. <laughs> so it's kind of the like, yeah, there was elective to be like how to talk with secular people and atheists and all this stuff to like, and for rebuttal arguments and stuff like that. And those were talking points of electives in my high school. To think that, like, yeah, like an organization, they're going to have those talking points and they're going to study up. Because this is just talking about one-on-one -on -one talking with just, like, a person you meet or a friend or something like that. When you're talking on a national scale, they're not just going to just be like, gays are evil, the end. Like, yes, <laughs> that's not how they're going to work. Because they're trying to push the agenda of stopping same-sex marriage. And... And yeah, it's that organizing that, that gets us. That gets us because they're very organized because they want to get, they want to stop the, these specific things. And we're, and there are some people who are not believing that's actually going to happen. I remember talking with a friend after uh, Roe v. Wade returning where they're like, yeah, they're going to, they're going to come after like, they're going to bring back the sodomy laws and everything like that. And I'm like, they're going to try to bring back a whole lot more than that. <laughs> Like, yeah, because, yeah, they're going to bring back the sodomy laws. We know that they're going to bring that back. Like, they're not quiet about those things because they're not quiet about anything they're doing. Yeah, which is that's something that I think we can probably learn from them. I, I don't think there's a lot we can learn <laughs> from them and use in a productive way. But the fact that they are listening to us is something that I think we need to do to them because. We, 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 I was baffled at how many people contacted us after that series and just said, like, I had no idea about any of this. And it's like, you don't have to know every single oh, no. detail because we did a deep dive. We did our oh, research. Yeah. But they were like, I didn't even realize that some Christians didn't like asexuality. Like, I just didn't know that that was a thing, period. And it's like, it's because... We see someone talking about something that we view as hatred and bigotry, and we shut it out and we ignore yep. them. Mm -hmm. While they are busy organizing talking points, getting groups together, writing letters to members of Congress that they know are going to believe them. And really, our only talking points that we have are very just like... A lot of the same ACE 101, a lot of we're, we're an invisible orientation, so people just need education. We need to tell people what the definition of asexuality is. And it almost, in our version of talking points, which aren't particularly organized, no. we don't really have any ACE like political organization that is helping to research what talking points work <laughs> and, and helping distribute them. We have sort of more the respectability politics lens of it, where it's like, we don't want the allos who are just learning about asexuality for the first time to have any excuse to twist what we're saying or get the wrong impression of what we are. So we have to tack on all these caveats to our own personal experiences very often. It's like, this is my personal experience. This is not everyone's personal experience, which everything I'm saying is my personal experience. Not every Christian has experienced this stuff. Yes. And uh, sometimes that, I think, is to our own community detriment, because if 
someone comes out and says, oh, well, I'm I'm a sex repulsed asexual. And even if it's lighthearted, like making a joke about sex being bad or sex being gross or something, then other aces will pile on that person and be like, some aces do have sex. <laughs> and it's like, it kind of depersonalizes all of us to an extent. <laughs> and I think people need to see more aces just as they are because more people seeing and liking and getting to know ace people that fosters empathy i remember my roommate we were having some conversation i forget what the conversation beforehand doesn't matter i brought up the fact that yeah some aces do have sex that is just some aces do and my roommate had to stop be like wait what explain how to what because of the whole like well how do you have sex with somebody without sexual attraction which then became this whole conversation but it's just like and this is just about one tiny facet about asexuality this is not like there's so much more than just do we have sex or not right and i think all of those nuances are incredibly important oh, yeah. and that's why we we like to talk about them and and like to explore all the different corners of of the spectrum but I think the sort of brandability that our talking points have latched onto is education often removed from personal experience, unless it's a personal experience that is really, really common. <laughs> there are some really common personal experiences that people talk about. Like in the disabled ace community, it'll be like, oh, well, Disabled people are often desexualized, but I am asexual and I'm I'm not trying to feed that stereotype. And it's like my disability was actually hypersexualized. Oh. <laughs> so my experience actually runs counter to that common talking point, which took a while for me to get comfortable talking about because, you know, we we all wanna put on the right face for the aloes who don't know about us. But none none of that branding or our talking points are really used in politically productive oh, ways, no. I have found, because <laughs> we aren't really, on a wide scale at least, we aren't really advocating for any real political change or political progress. We're just sort of trying to tell people that we exist. Yeah, because so many people still say sexuality isn't real. So we're just like, we're, we're real. Hey, we're over here. Yes. And to some degree, it can be very hard to do political change because how do you do political change when people are, when nobody thinks you exist? Or when the only people who know you exist are the ones who are actively trying to campaign against yeah. you. That's, that is the hellscape we're in right now. <laughs> the people who would be our allies don't know enough about us. But our political opposition is several steps ahead. I was when I when I was looking at that rhetoric letter because I was reading it while you guys were going over it. I was like, part of me was like, I'm surprised they specifically called out platonic marriages because that wasn't like a huge talking point when I was younger. Where they were like, it was kind of assumed that like once you get married, well, of course you're going to have sex because like everyone has those urges and stuff like that. So to be like, oh, they're actually recognizing that some people get married and don't have sex like wow that amazes me to some degree but it yeah. also doesn't surprise me because they want everyone to have sex mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they think 
we all have those urges, which was a weird thing to hear growing up because I'm like, wait, what urges? <laughs> wait, what? What are these urges we're talking about? <laughs> how how does that I'm make you, to have how does now? that make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and does any of this like so you talked a bit about sort of the religious martyrdom of feeling like the religion is under attack. Was there anything in your experience that was talking about like the um the great replacement theory is something I've heard a lot of people bring up as a talking point lately because more and more people are starting to talk about, you know, the decline of birth rate. <laughs> like like Elon Musk. I never <laughs> and others. that was never really a talking point, especially I think that's more of a more recent thing. After I've, like, stepped away from the church, it was more inclined towards the, like, oh, we just need to bring the Bible back in schools. Like, Muslims can pray in schools, why can't Christians pray in schools type stuff? Which the whole, like, Christians can't pray in school thing is very interesting because, like, we literally had a, a Christian club. And for the entire period of my schooling like i think even in elementary school there were like yearly events where the christian students aka most of the students would just like get together and pray right before school started and it was it was like a, a holiday kind of almost a school holiday and that was always present in school when i was going to school but at the same time that all of that was happening I would start to hear these talking points about how it's not okay to pray in schools anymore. And it's like, but, but, but. I was hearing talking points all the time about like, oh, you can't bring a Bible into school because like they'll get angry because they open a Bible to school. That like if teachers mention God, they'll get fired and all of that stuff. Like that was talked about. <laughs> that was there. Wow. And it's kind of just a like, oh, is that how public schools are? Are public schools that intense? Public no. schools are anything but intense. <laughs> I'm always very interested to hear public school, like, this is what happened, because I'm just like, in our private schools, like, we would rush to class to class and, and be told, like, about Jesus and stuff like that, and, like, anything, like, sexualized was kind of just like, you wait till marriage, and if it happens, well, they're out of school, and rumors are spread about them, they're like, oh, this person was kicked out because they almost had sex, like... See, yeah, the getting, the getting kicked weird. out of school thing is weird because, like, I don't know if anyone ever got expelled from my school. Like, people would get into fist fights and get suspended for a couple days. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, it, that wasn't yeah. common, but occasionally. We had a school that was sort of like the juvenile detention school where, like, Worst case scenario, you had to transfer to the school for the bad kids or the troubled oh. kids. But, like, that wasn't super common. But, yeah, I mean, we also would have fist fights. We, I remember one time a, a girl fight broke out and someone ripped out someone else's earring oh. and just had a profusely, like, bleeding ear and, like, they didn't get expelled. They they were suspended for a while. And we had like pregnant classmates. A, a couple of my very good friends actually in high school got pregnant and 
just kept coming to school. <laughs> we, we had some people in the last couple of years of high school who also got pregnant at my school. But the hearing story you just told, I remember overhearing some guys in between classes one day just saying, man, girl fights are intense. <laughs> They go for the hair? They go for, like... Yeah, like, in this case, one girl, like, grabbed another by the hair and slammed her head into a locker. And the guys were like, you just don't do that in a fight. No, you punch them! That, that's that's over the line. <laughs> See, so my uh, my school limited it, limited it to 80 kids. There was a max of 80 kids per grade. And I think our graduating class, after some people left for whatever reason was around 73, 74. Uh, I think, like, one or two kids got kicked out for drinking. They, like, convinced an older kid to buy him alcohol, and, like, they found out that they, like, they had alcohol, so they were kicked out of that. There was a, the student kicked out for, like, almost or, ha or did have sex, and I think there was, like, one or two people, uh, other people who left or got kicked out. It wasn't super common, but it was kind of like the... Oh, there's a few kids every year that you hear the stories that got kicked out for whatever reason, be it that they did something wrong or they did something sin like... That line just seems so low, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I said, hugging. I hugged my girlfriend before school even started. We were just in the school before homeroom, and I gave her a hug, and the teachers were like, mm, looking at you. Because even that, I think you mentioned this, and I laughed in one of the episodes where you're like, I remember back in the day where they were like, oh, make room for Jesus. And I laughed because a talking point in our entire school was, six inches for Jesus. Yep. <laughs> I mean, we'd hear that even though we weren't like in a religious school, which so, oh my goodness. <laughs> Now I'm thinking of how, like, really incredibly messed up my school actually was, which <laughs> it seemed so normal at the time. And now I'm like, what the hell? You're like, students would get suspended if they even, or like, get expelled if they even almost had yeah. sex. We couldn't hug or hold hands. And it's like, I, at one point, walked in on a teacher doing illegal things with a student. <laughs> oh! And that same teacher, before that happened, literally, I kid you not, called me a sex kitten, like, to another student. I was not present. He said that to other students who then came to me and were like, hey, this teacher said this thing about you? And, like, I reported that shit to the principal and nothing Oh, happened. of course not. We've had so many teachers leave for whatever reasons, but none of them were like, oh, they got, like, kicked out for, like, doing bad things. Because our school, like, did so much vetting of teachers to be like, they, what church do they go to? How often do they go? Are they, like, this, that, the other thing that it's like, nobody who did that would have survived the vetting, I feel like. <laughs> like, I think the closest was, like, a teacher left because, like, they didn't have a teaching license. How'd that happen? Oh, ninth grade English teacher. I don't even know. Well, it was like the teacher's license expired or something, like, so it wasn't, like, renewed or whatever. And it was kind of just like, I remember hearing where they were like, they have this long to get the teaching license or else. That was the extent of the teachings. It was all like the students being like, okay, so what did this student do? 
Ah, uh, which one drew the dick in the bathroom? Uh, what trouble are they going to get in for drawing the dick in the bathroom? Uh, where's that student? Oh, I heard he got kicked out for alcohol. Oh, I knew that. He was always a bad one. See, you just identified the single biggest difference between public and private schools. There was a singular student drawing no, no, no. a singular no, no, no. dick in the bathroom. I have to clarify this story. So I was not in school that day. I was sick that day, and I came back, and so I wanted to go use the bathroom. I'm like, weird, this bathroom's locked. Why is this bathroom locked? I go up to my friends and be like, hey, it's weird. Why is that bathroom locked? And they're like, oh, you weren't here yesterday. The headmaster of our school, because we had a headmaster, because it's an academy, the headmaster of the school declared war on us because somebody drew a dick, and they locked the bathroom until they found out who drew the dick on the bathroom. And the exact wording was like, I declare war, and it was just, I was just like, what happened while I was gone? War was declared. Were you not listening? For a dick. (laughs) This is private Christian school. Hey, I hear that genitals are very important to allosexual people. (laughs) But it being on the bathroom, that's too far. Was that the only bathroom? Uh, No, so there was two or three sets of bathrooms. And it okay. was well, one set. The, good, one, the one set of bathrooms were closed, and then the other set, which was by like the entrance to the school and where like principals and stuff were, that one was still open because that one didn't have the deck. And I assumed that they were also slightly watching. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so um, I feel like I have no Christian st- high school stories, but then I'm like, oh right, there's that, there's <laughs> dick, there's this. And people would be like, oh, yeah, I was walking down the hallway and people were just making out. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where your experience feels normal to you. But if you were to, like, spend a day just working through school with a person who went to a public school, you'd be like, oh, this was actually very different. This was very different, which is how I, like, Satan was, like, telling me stories. And I'm like, ew. Well, and even school to school, there can be a lot of major differences because like Royce and I have talked about the differences in our schooling and we went to very, very different schools for a number of reasons. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my schooling was like, and they were getting accredited the year that I graduated. So like everything was changing because they were going through the accreditation process. So they were just like, oh, we, we, we have to m- do this. We have to change all these things. So we're just like, okay, but where does that leave us? There was a time where I'm like, oh, I still haven't taken like a, a gym credit. And if I don't take a gym credit, I am not going to graduate. Oh, huh. But then, they're, then they wrote in a rule that like, oh, if people do extracurriculars, like that can substitute for a gym credit. And I'm just like, I do martial arts. Give me the credit, please. <laughs> Yeah, so that's actually, um, that was sort of the biggest deterrence to doing anything like drugs or alcohol. And like, clearly there, there were some kids that did because it was high school. Some kids do that. But our school was very, very into extracurriculars. Like we had many, like our marching band and our, our speech and debate team, like we would have nationally recognized teams that would, wow be in like national parades or would compete in national tournaments and actually win or get very high rankings. So we were very competitive with our 
with our extracurriculars. And we had just like massive, like so many students in all these extracurriculars, like probably more students in our extracurriculars than were even in like Royce's school (laughs) at all. And that was always like the scare tactic was you wouldn't necessarily be expelled from school if you were caught drinking or smoking or doing drugs of any kind, but you will be kicked out of your extracurricular activities. Which is funny to me because so many people didn't do extracurriculars in my school because we had an extracurricular, like an after school drama, and then we had like football, basketball soccer and i think that was it for uh, for after school stuff and like extracurriculars so it was kind of just like i did some plays and um if they said to me like oh like you're gonna get kicked out i would have been like oh me you mean i get to go home and i get to like do whatever i want cool Well, now you're speaking Royce's language. Because the only reason I joined it was a friend was like, hey, this would be cool. You should come do this play with me. And I'm like, okay, I guess. And now you're stuck. And now I was stuck being in the Phantom Toll booth and Get Smart and all these other plays. I was just like, "Uh, okay, I'm not really somebody who likes, like, acting and being, like, on a stage and everyone looking at me, but I guess I'll do it. Me, I love it. Eat that shit up. I love it. I was in so many extracurriculars. I also worked so many jobs, but we also had just like astronomical loads of homework. It was ridiculous. And when I hear about how Royce's school did not have hours and hours and hours of homework every single day, I'm like baffled. I'm like, oh, I I rushed through. (laughs) I didn't have hours. I rushed through the homework usually in like homeroom or something because I'm like, I'm going to spend time playing video games. I got games to beat. Why would I do this homework? To the point, and like, I didn't take notes to the point where a teacher looked at me and said, you are going to fail this class. Get out your notebook and take notes or you will fail. And I'm like, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) And so I remember getting a quiz or test back and I got like a 98. And he was like, why are you not failing? And I just looked at him and I'm like, I don't know. Because it was just like, we had some homework, lunch and homeroom was a very good homework time. And it's just like, that's the school, that is the environment. That was my environment. It was so strange. Having a teacher being like, you're gonna fail. And I was like, right center in front of him to the assigned seat. So he was like, looking directly at me like, you will fail. Wow. See, I had teachers who were like determined to make me fail even if I didn't deserve it. Like we use you said something like ninth grade English teacher or something, and I was like, Oh, my ninth grade English teacher was the worst. <laughs> because so we, we weren't allowed to do homework in our homeroom. So and I never had a study hall because some of my extracurriculars happened during the period of time where I might have had one. And Part of our like ninth grade English class was we had some books that were like assigned reading. So we had to read those books, of course, and we would write essays and things. But on top of the assigned reading, we were required to read 1,000 pages of other books. Yeah. And it was per quarter. So 
per quarter, we had to read 1,000 pages of books of our choosing. And that was so they wouldn't be like, oh, you have to read a book and someone picks like the shortest book they possibly can. They're like 1,000 pages. It doesn't matter how many books it takes you to do that. But she also had all these rules about like, you can't read this book because so many people have read this book. And I I don't trust that this is your first time reading this sort of a thing. You just unlocked a memory for me. Oh my gosh. Oh, good. In 7th and 8th grade, that my school eventually stopped it. They had a class where you would read a book and then you would go to the teacher and the teacher would ask you questions of it. And it was any book you chose out of, like, a list. And then you would get graded, and you would basically have, like, a reading class grade. And one of my teachers, I think it was in eighth grade, was like, if you guys do three books a quarter, I'll give you guys some candy. Me and my one friend looked at each other and be like, this is a challenge accepted. <laughs> Legitimately, at one point, her tally for us was so big, she just bought a bag of candy, plopped it on our desk, and said, you figure it out. Because I would, because we were allowed five books out of the library, I would pick like five books and read them. And then put the five books back at five more books and just keep track of it all. That's great. Cause she, she got you the candy. Oh, you did I, the work and you got the reward. And they, I think between eighth and ninth grade, they stopped it and, and it was kind of just like, mm, I think they're seeing a problem here. This is a little bit, um, <laughs> this is not a good thing. They probably stopped it for a lot of other reasons, but it was kind of just like the, Oh, uh, yeah, I got my candy out of it because they really wanted you to read some books. And, like, like Harry Potter wasn't allowed and, like, all these other books. It was, like, from a very selected list. But it was kind of just to, like, we had a library. Now I'd go to the library and be like, this book? Yeah, this one seems fine. I'll just pop it out and read it. <laughs> yeah. So when when I had to do this, it was also during a period of time where I did work multiple jobs. And I had multiple extracurricular activities. And I basically wasn't sleeping at all because I would have to be at school at like this, this year, I think I only had to be there at 6am. There became a year where I had to go to school at like 5am, <laughs> but like I'd get there at 6am for my extracurriculars and then I'd go to school and then I would uh, go to work and then I would go to other, other activities. And then I would get home around like 11pm. And then I would just do homework until it was time to go to school again. <laughs> like that was pretty much how bad it was. And so I didn't really have time to read other books that weren't our assigned reading, which was kind of a shame because I actually genuinely did love reading. <laughs> but what I ended up needing to do, I had to basically get my grandmother to call in sick to school for me so that I could stay home for an entire day and read The Shining by Stephen King because that was like almost exactly a thousand pages. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, hey, I need to do this for my grade, but I don't have time to do it before or after school. <laughs> But I need to read a thousand pages, call in sick for me so I can read this book. And so I did that. And then I had to, outside of school hours, like you'd have to set up an appointment with her Jeez. to do a meeting about these books. And I was also, which was also a struggle for me because I was like, I'm busy before and after school every single day. And she was like, I don't care. You have to make it work. Your grade depends on it, which also should like be yeah, legal. Yeah, yeah. 
but <laughs> I had to like tell one of my extracurriculars that I wasn't going to be there, which got me in a lot of trouble with them. But I wasn't going to not show up to work because <laughs> that could get me fired and I needed money. So I got into trouble with my extracurriculars, but I was like, this is for my actual grade in my actual class. And I had this meeting with her and she'd ask you all these questions about the book just to sort of test you to see if you actually read it. And she had, for some reason, never read The Shining. Or, no, it wasn't The Shining. Why did I say The Shining? What book was that? The Stand. The Stand. I don't know why I was saying The Shining. Yes, I, I read The Stand. And for some reason, she had not. So she didn't know anything about it. So she just had my book, my copy of the book, and she was just like <laughs> flipping through it to random pages and like asking me a question about something that was on that random page. Oh, uh... And she asked me one question. She's like, she found a name and she's like, tell me about this person. And it must have just been a, a small side character or something, or <laughs> I don't know. But I was <laughs> like, I don't think that was a very important character because I, I was like, I, I don't actually know. And she was like, aha. I don't think you read this book. And I was like, no, I promise. I promise I read the book. And she was like, well, I haven't read The Stand, but my husband has. And he was also a teacher at the school. So she sent me with the book over to her husband's classroom. And she was like, I'm going to have him test you. And he was not my teacher. He was someone else's <sighs> teacher. But I sat down with him and we talked about the book. And then he was like, yeah, well, I'm I'm satisfied. I think you read this. And so he sent me back to her with a note saying, yeah, I think she wrote. I think oh she read this. Lord. And then she asked me more questions and flipped through pages more. And she's like, I'm not terribly convinced. And she ended up giving me like half credit wow. on it because she wasn't totally convinced that I read it. But he was convinced that I read it. And so I, I, I hated her. I hated her. <laughs> I hated so many of my teachers. I also had a Spanish teacher. It was my like third year of Spanish. So we were starting to actually like write things at length and we were supposed to write a like a fairy tale, like a children's book. And I was so excited about this project because I thought it was so fun. Like I'm writing a children's book. I'm doing it in Spanish. And she wanted it to actually look like a book. So she's like, actually make a book for me. And I was like, well, that sounds like a creative project. So I actually like I bound a book together and I did all of my own illustrations. Like I, I illustrated this whole book like a children's book. And I was having such a blast with this project. And I was really proud of it. And when we turned all of the projects in, she actually took my book because a bunch of other people just sort of like stapled theirs together, like didn't actually make it a book. And she used mine as an example. And she's like, this is what I was looking for. This is what I was hoping for. This is an example of what you should have done. And I was all proud because I was like, I put a lot of work into that. And then after she graded them, she's like passing them out one at a time. And then mine comes last. And I'm like waiting for this A plus because I'm like, I did such a good job. She comes to hands mine back to me last. And she's like, Courtney, can I see you in the hallway? <laughs> oh, and so she she took me out to the hallway and she was like, who wrote this for you? And I was like, what? And she's like, who wrote this for you? I was like, I wrote it. And she's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> this is too good. I think you had to have gotten like a native speaker to write this for you. And I was like, no, I just worked really, really hard on it. <laughs> and she was also like, tell me right now who wrote this for you. And I will consider letting you redo the assignment. And I was like, but I, 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 
I don't have an answer for you. I did this. And then she also ended up just giving me half credit on it because she's like, this would be a perfect score, but I think you cheated. So I'm giving you half credit instead. But like 50% is an F. Yep. So like, I don't know why they even bother giving you that half credit on things. But those were like the two instances I was given half credit. And both were very unfair. I had one time for math where we were doing some type of operation and they were like, oh, you need like answer the questions. So me, I was just like, okay, I'll answer the questions. And I did all the math in my head and I was like, here's the answer. And then the teacher was like, you just wrote the answers from the back of the book, didn't you? I'm like, what? Me being like, huh? I don't, th- these, these answers in the back of the book? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The teacher's like, I don't believe you actually did this. And I was like, I was right next to people as I was working on this. I did this all in my head. What are you talking about? And they're like, now nah, you got a 50. You, you didn't do this. And I'm just like, blaming my math. <laughs> Awful. Teachers are the worst. Not all of them. Some of them are very good. But I, I had some really rotten teachers, too. <laughs> I, there are some teachers that, like, were very nice and good, and, like, one of them wrote me a recommendation to college. He was just the sweetest old man that I had. And then it was just, like, then I have others where it's just, like, why are you here? My homeroom teacher spent the entirety of homeroom making us sit there and listen to her tell us how horrible she thought we were and how Ugh. rowdy and stuff like that. And I'm, like, why are you a teacher for a Christian school? Like, why (laughs) yeah some teachers really love their students and really care some teachers just really seem to hate everyone she also really didn't like me like really didn't interesting some people just don't like me courtney i i don't know why (laughs) you're you're very likable but yeah it's it's a thing what's not to like about a cartoon shark But yeah, I mean, school is weird, but to actually tie into the, like, prayer isn't allowed in school anymore, I did actually join the school's Christian club at one point, mostly because I had a lot of friends who were in it, and they invited me, and I wanted to hang out with those friends more. But also partially because I had a born-again Christian boyfriend for a while who broke up with me because he thought I was a witch. Oh, the gnomes! (laughs) The gnomes! The gnomes! Yes, I I don't actually know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but this will just be a teaser, everyone. I'll I'll tell you the story about the gnomes on a future episode. (laughs) A guy broke up with me because his youth pastor thought I was witch, (laughs) which was very weird. And I was appalled that he was breaking up with me because he thought I was witch and that I wasn't Christian enough. So it was also kind of like, I want to hang out with these friends, but I also want to spite my ex. Like, look at how Christian I am. I'm in the Christian club. (laughs) So... I did join that for a period of time, and then 
then I ended up becoming like kind of the leader, like the club president the next year because a lot of the upperclassmen had graduated and they were the ones running things. So it kind of all just fell to me. So I was actually like before school, like once a week on a certain day or something, I would like give Bible lessons to other high school peers of mine. And I don't know why anyone let that happen because <laughs> I did not regularly go to church at all. I just owned a Bible and occasionally opened it looking for a passage that I could talk about without any deep theory or history or anything about it. And to my bafflement, people just listened to what I had to say. They were like, yep, sounds good. Checks out. <laughs> I don't know why they let that happen. And now you run a podcast where people listen to what you say. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Why? 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 If you're listening to this podcast right now, why are you listening to what I have to say? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's what I say every day of my life. Why are people listening to me? So I get that. Why are people listening to me? Well, and then then there's Royce, who has noticeable issues with public speaking, who's also on a podcast. I can public speak when I need to sometimes, but the microphone and the editing helps that. You're not in front of an audience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When I was in high school and college, I had major problems with public speaking. I could not get me in front and I was... <laughs> stammering everywhere and when i got to like college and i was like no you need to take a public speaking class i like i passed it barely because i'm like i'm bad at this which now that i do twitch live streams three times a week which is i guess a form of public speaking yeah it is but that one's like we're just talking about a thing we're kind of just like Let's just have a conversation. Let's just let's just sound like we're two friends just sitting on a couch just talking while playing a game. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Which I feel like is slightly different because it's not like a prepared speech that I'm doing in front of the class. It's just like a just be who you are. Which is not how they teach it in school. Not at all. Which I mean, I thrive in front of an audience. I really do. When I tried doing like a YouTube channel for my art and hair history stuff, the hardest part of that for me was just talking to a camera without a person or a group of people to talk to. It was very weird for me. And in school with speeches and things, when I actually had a speech class, I was so relieved because I didn't need to do homework for it, even though I was supposed to, because you were supposed to write your speeches. But I was like, nah, I got this. I would improvise all of my speeches and I would get 100% every time. <laughs> so that was a relief to me because I was like, I can stand in front of people and talk. <laughs> no problem. You did that didn't read the book, got a good grade, but in speaking form. Yeah, exactly. But when I actually did that, I didn't have a teacher calling me out on it. But when I actually did read the book, I'd have a teacher being like, hey, now. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, we have talked a lot. We've talked a lot. And I want to make sure before we completely wrap up here, if there was anything else you specifically wanted to touch on that we didn't get to. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay, then. Well, then, Sharky, please tell the pod people <laughs> where they can find you. 
By the way, real quick, Courtney, were you at all aware that Pod People comes from Invasion of the Body Snatchers? There's no and, what? and that the Pod People are plant-like aliens who cannot sexually reproduce? <laughs> of course Courtney wasn't aware of the joke. I had no idea. What? That's kind of perfect. <laughs> are you calling your listeners plants? Uh, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that are going to take over and destroy the world, probably. Uh, y- yes. Well, have you listened to the Christians, Royce? The conservative, the conservative Christians? conservative Christians are to be believed, uh, you will be the downfall of society. The shrubbery overlords. The shrubbery! <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, Sharky, tell tell the pod people where they can find you. Uh, I don't think you want the pod people to find you. That's how you become a pod person. That- that's what you think, Royce. Maybe I do want them to find me. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, y'all are funny. <laughs> so the best place to follow, quote unquote, me would be uh, at Aces on Twitter. On Twitch, we are Aces playing at attraction. I have my own personal Twitter, but I don't really use it. So that's the best place to find me. Yay, and I do very much recommend you all check out Aces Playing at Attraction. We find Sharky to be lovely. Satan is also very lovely. And who doesn't love Aces uh, bumbling through dating sims? I I know we do. And not too long ago, you guys actually had a, a, a really fun success. You joined the Cloud Cabin stream team. Yeah, we joined the stream team of other Aces and Arrows um, who are all Twitch streamers. I believe if you look up Cloud Cabin, you'll be able to find the team, and they are all wonderful people, and you should all follow them, too, because they are, they're just great. (laughs) They're just great. Yeah, so cool. We will, uh, as per the usual, make sure that links to all of those fun things are down in the description of the podcast. And I want to thank you all for listening. Please do whatever things you need to do, depending on what platform you're listening to us on. That means if you are on Apple, please give us a wonderful review and rating, preferably five stars. That would be oh so kind of you. If you are on Spotify, give us a follow. YouTube, give us, you know, like, comment, subscribe, all of that good jazz. And we will talk to you all next week. Goodbye. Bye.